Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday night into a Monday morning. Plenty of stuff to get to throughout the course of the show tonight. Fun day of football on Sunday that did not feature the Eagles. Not going to lie, it was kind of nice. I do have a social media gripe regarding that later on, regarding the fact the Eagles didn't play on Sunday. Um, But it is nice. It was nice to keep an eye on fantasy, monitor your wagers if you're into that kind of thing, watch Red Zone all day. It's pretty cool to to be able to keep an eye on things going on around the league. You get to watch more of the NFL and more of the other teams than you typically would on a normal week. And it was enjoyable. Fun day games. um, Some really entertaining games. We'll have a week six recap later on. uh, But the Cowboys and Patriots, a wild ending to that one in the four o'clock window where, um, you know, it looks like Mike McCarthy is going to get crushed for a horrible decision, tries kicking a field goal uh, instead of going for a fourth and one. And then a whole ton of crazy stuff ensues. A pick six by Diggs. Mac Jones, a deep touchdown pass, ends up going to overtime. Uh, Jalen Mills gets dusted by C.D. Lamb in overtime, and Dallas wins. So we'll get to that later on. But a fun day of football, no Eagles, um, after what happened on Thursday night. And when I was on Saturday, we obviously talked a lot about what happened on Thursday night, the Eagles' performance, and about the head coach, who will appear today with Angelo Cataldi and the morning team uh, at 8.30. He'll be on at 8.30 today. Did not join them on Friday, day after a night game. But Sirianni will be on the morning show at 8.30 today. Very interested to hear that interview. Uh, very interested to hear what Nick Sirianni Rick, what Nick Sirianni has to say. I'm sure, um, you know, Angelo will ask him a lot of tough questions. Angela is a tremendous interviewer and especially in these kind of situations, um, it's going to be a challenge for Nick Sirianni to explain himself, especially when he's consistently making decisions that seem to be unexplainable and things that just make no sense. But we've discussed Sirianni and how overmatched he is because it's troubling as an Eagles fan right now to see what we are seeing on the offensive side of the ball. The lack of a plan, the lack of adjustments, the nonsensical, I would say bordering on comical play calling at this point. Like, it is bordering on 
you know, a parody of an offense to the extent that the Eagles don't mix things up. Uh, you know, we talk about running the ball. I told you I, I'm not huge into running the ball, but with the 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 lack of running in the Eagles' offense is almost like, um, you know, they're going out of their way not to do it. it. It's so baffling at this point to see what Nick Sirianni is doing offensively. I don't understand what he is trying to do offensively and what situations he's trying to put his players in. And as a fan who... First and foremost, I am a fan, you know, growing up in this city and watching this team my entire life. Um, who wants the best for this team? It's disturbing, quite frankly, to see where they are and where this appears to be headed. Disturbing that the future of this franchise, or at least the immediate future of this franchise, is in the care of Nick Sirianni. A, a, a man who seems like a nice enough guy. You know, he seems like he... he he is a good good person, um, good relationship with his players. But let's be real. And I understand we're only six games in, and the Eagles have played some really high-level competition when you look at when you look at these first six games. If you had told me before the year the Eagles would be two and four, I would have said, all right, well, I'll, I'll honestly take two and four. When you're playing Tampa Bay and you're playing Kansas City and Dallas, who's better than we expected, San Francisco, who I thought was going to be really good. That they might not be as good as I had expected them to be, but you would have taken two and four before the year. But the way we've gotten to two and four is incredibly concerning. And even through six games, even against this level of competition, it's clear to me that this guy's just not ready for this. And he's not ready for this responsibility. He's not ready for this job. Um, he's not ready to be the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, I guess we could see significant improvement throughout the next 11 weeks. But I wouldn't count on it. You know, I'd significantly doubt it based on the evidence that we have so far. This team has regressed from week one significantly, especially on the offensive side. And it's so frustrating to watch as they play sloppy, ugly football with a game plan that makes no sense. And it would appear right now that all of our fears after Nick Sirianni's initial press conference, remember that disaster of a press conference where he's introduced and, you know, we made the kind of, um, uh, you know, rationalizations that, okay, well, he's uncomfortable, you know, he's on Zoom, um, it's not a typical press conference setting, he's never been in this kind of environment before, you know, a big job that we kind of rationalize. It is, okay, a bad public moment. Uh, you can move on from it, and you could. Um, but it seems like our fears were realized. Like some of the, you know, things that he said and, and that the rambling answers that really made no sense have kind of translated to the field and translated in terms of the game plan that we are seeing on a week-to-week basis. And it seems like those fears were warranted and I hate to call anyone you know incompetent but Nick Sirianni appears incompetent right now as a head coach he does not seem like a man who is prepared or knows what he is doing and it leads us to examine exactly how we got here and we sat here uh, at this point about nine months ago a day or two 
after the Washington game, the final game of the horrendous 2020 season. And Howie Roseman and then head coach Doug Peterson sat down and spoke at a press conference. Um, It looked like Doug would be back. He certainly sounded confident that he'd be back. He didn't sound like a guy who was headed anywhere at the time. And then out of nowhere, a week later, Doug Peterson was fired. And I don't need to lecture you on the ridiculous nature of how that decision came to be and, you know, the way the Eagles botched it. I mean, if you're going to fire Doug, you need to make that decision what? I mean, around the Green Bay game, like a month ahead of time, you need to get out ahead of that, start planning a coaching search, start putting together a list of candidates, and go through a process to find somebody who can come in and be ready to take over as the coach of your franchise. We all know the Eagles didn't, didn't do that. You know, to make that choice that late in the game, to set yourself back that significantly in the search process limits you significantly. You know, it limits the options you had available. You know, you weren't able to really get in on the Brandon Staley's of the world. Who, you know, let's face it, Brandon Staley probably chooses the Chargers job over the Eagles job anyway. But you really didn't even get the opportunity to interview a guy like that. Because you started this process so late. And you don't fire Doug until... The Monday following Wild Card Weekend. Like, that is not a way to get the best candidates in here. It's not the best way to interview the people best equipped to get this job and best equipped to handle this job, which is an extremely difficult one. Any of being a head coach in the NFL is difficult to begin with, but especially being an NFL head coach in the city of Philadelphia is extremely challenging. And setting yourself back in that regard killed this team in a major way and that's how you end up being left with somebody like Nick Sirianni who you kind of panic to hire you end up getting a recommendation from Frank Reich he wasn't even on your initial list you talk to him in an interview but who knows I mean and I don't know what Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Rosen could have been thinking in that interview and what Nick Sirianni I really don't know what Nick Sirianni could have said to to get that job uh, considering he does not seem like an overly, you know, impressive speaker. But because you set yourself back, you end up uh, falling for a guy like Sirianni and you like some of his ideas, but in the end, um, it ends up being a poor hire. And it seems like that's where we are right now. And as I watch this offense, week after week, not being catered to the quarterback In any way whatsoever, you know, regardless of how Jalen Hurts has played, and I'm not here to tell you Jalen Hurts has played well, I'm not here to tell you the Eagles should stick with Jalen Hurts next year, or, you know, that he should be the guy moving forward. But what I will say is he he is being put in a completely unfair situation right now, and he is being placed in a spot where it's impossible for him to succeed, and it's impossible for you as an organization to properly evaluate Jalen Hurts, which, as I was talking to Ricky about during the crossover, is really what this season is supposed to be about. It's not supposed to be about going to the playoffs. If you end up being decent and you you get there, great. But this season, 
was always about evaluating Jalen Hurts. And you can't do that when the coaching staff is not at all playing to his strengths, not at all putting him in situations to succeed in any way whatsoever. And I found myself over the weekend thinking back to last year, especially that New Orleans game, and how in one week Doug Peterson did what Nick Sirianni couldn't in a full offseason. Where if you remember that game, and sure, it's one game, the game plan was different than it's been the entire weeks prior with Carson Wentz. The Eagles ran read option. They did things that would put Jalen Hurts in position to succeed. They gave him easy reads. They gave him easy throws. They relied on the running game. They did things to make him feel comfortable. They did things to back off the rush against the New Orleans defense that, if I'm if I'm uh, correct at the time, was the top-ranked defense in the NFL. And Doug Peterson, in one week, reshaped his offense to fit Jalen Hurts' skill set. And really did that, for the most part, the last four weeks of the year. I mean, in Arizona, remember, the Eagles fall behind 16-0. But the offense plays well in that game. They end up coming back, giving them the lead. Defense couldn't hold up. Against Dallas, you know, uh, there's a lot of, I think, revisionist history when it comes back to the end of last season and what exactly happened, the Eagles offense moved the ball effectively in that Dallas game. The problem was they kept getting to like that 30, 40 yard line area in Dallas territory. And then they killed themselves with penalties and turnovers, which obviously you can't do, but moving the ball under Jalen hurts was not an issue last year under Doug Peterson. They were significantly better offensively, with Jalen Hurts at quarterback last season than they were with Carson Wentz. And the more I have thought about it, the mistake was less waiting to fire Doug Peterson. It was firing Doug Peterson altogether. And last year was a weird year, you know, and not to absolve Doug or absolve the Eagles of anything because adjustments had to be made and many organizations in that league made them better than the Eagles did. The Eagles did not adjust to COVID well. They did not have the kind of success that they needed to have. And the season really fell apart. And Doug was a big part of, you know, that happening. But there were extenuating circumstances that you need to take into account. And you add to that a quarterback who was completely uncooperative in Carson Wentz, who, judging by reports, wouldn't even communicate with Doug Peterson was essentially running the offense rogue at the line where he's changing plays and pretty much just running whatever the hell he wants to run at the line. Just as Jalen Hurts has been put in a situation this year where he can't succeed with a head coach who's not doing right by him, Doug Peterson was in a situation last year where he couldn't succeed with a quarterback who was sabotaging him and sabotaging his offense, and not putting him in a spot where he could succeed. And I find myself wishing we could have seen what this would look like after a full offseason with Doug Peterson and Jalen Hurts. Because you can have your criticisms of Doug, and there are plenty, and the offense lacked imagination the past couple years and all this other stuff, but Doug Peterson, I feel 100% confident in saying Doug Peterson is a good NFL head coach. 
And if Doug Peterson wants to be a head coach in the NFL again, he will be a head coach in the NFL again. And that would be a hell of a lot better than whatever we are watching right now with Nick Sirianni. And the more I think about it, the more I realize firing Doug seemed to be a mistake. You know, if you go through this year and it doesn't work out and things don't go well and you're not going to move forward with Jalen Hurts, fine. You blow it up. You get rid of Doug. You go get a new quarterback. You go in a different direction. This time you're prepared. You're prepared because you know the plan is to move on from the head coach if it doesn't go well. You're not flying by the seat of your pants the you know week after the season ends and just deciding on the fly, you know what, we're going to fire Doug, we're going to go with a new guy because we don't agree with some of the things that he wants to do moving forward. The Eagles should have given Doug Peterson an opportunity, a full offseason, not whatever 2020 was, to correct this and to work with Jalen Hurts and to put his staff together the way he wanted to do it and to see what it looked like. Because it couldn't be any worse than what we're seeing right now. And that's the way I feel about it at this point. I think the Eagles made a mistake by firing Doug Peterson. You should have given him the opportunity to mold Jalen Hurts. He would have molded an offense that that certainly played to his strengths more than Nick Sirianni has. Um, And, you know, we'll see how the rest of the season goes here. I guess it's not implausible that Sirianni could turn it around, um, but it's certainly not likely. And this offense and Jalen Hurts would have had a far better opportunity to succeed with Doug Peterson at the helm rather than Nick Sirianni at this point. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. But as we look back, do you think the Eagles made a mistake by firing Doug Peterson? Because it's the realization that I really came to after watching Thursday night and over the weekend and seeing a quarterback being placed in horrible positions, an offense that looks more disjointed than ever. I mean, you can have your criticisms about Doug's lack of creativity or whatever in 2020. This offense is far worse. And what we're seeing from a game plan standpoint and play calling perspective is far worse. Uh, You would have been better off giving Doug an opportunity um, to try to, you know, fix whatever happened in 2020 and let him mold Jalen Hurts because, um, you know, Doug Peterson does have a history of molding his offenses to his quarterback, whoever that guy is, and we've seen it work with success in the past. That's what the Eagles should have done this time as well. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. And I know, you know, where a lot of the blame will fall when we talk about that decision and the Eagles moving on from Doug Peterson But as you know, I mentioned revisionist history in terms of the end of the season to start the show here. There's also revisionist history in terms of that as well. And who actually made this decision? Who was the driving force behind Doug Peterson being fired? So we'll get to that a little more when we get back. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, we got open lines to start the show. uh, So I would love to get you in tonight. Did the Eagles make a mistake by firing Doug Peterson last year? I'm Tom Kelly, Dan Wilson producing right here on Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly with you on the overnight show tonight, 215-592-9494, if you want to get in. And, 
you know, discussing whether it was a mistake for the Eagles to fire Doug at the end of last season. And, you know, just in general on Sirianni, as I was talking about with Ricky during the crossover and, you know, the idea of, oh, well, you won't get rid of him after one year. That's kind of what I had thought up until a few weeks ago. And I know we're only six games in, but I don't know. Like, this is so bad that it might be something the Eagles have to do. Like, if the Eagles continue to look this inept offensively all year and the game plans lack this much creativity and everything just completely falls apart on a week-to-week basis and you can't score points, you can't generate offense in any way, they're not going to have a choice. And it is a realistic possibility the Eagles would have to get rid of Sirianni at the end of the year. Dan, you're producing tonight, Dan Wilson. Am I reading this wrong, or do you think there is a scenario in which Nick Sirianni doesn't get a year? There's absolutely a scenario. This is the modern-day NFL. Chip Kelly was canned after a year in San Francisco. We've seen this type of thing happen before. And if the offense looks, if the offense especially looks this bad throughout the course of the season, I mean, there's no such thing as just like a gimme year in the NFL. I'm sure Laurie and Roseman would not want to do it because they went out of their way, as you've kind of alluded to, to fire Doug Peterson, the only coach in franchise history to win the Super Bowl, who then eventually hire this guy to admit you're wrong just a season in. Like, I don't know what the you know, progression of that would be. Do we eventually see him give up play calling at some point this season just for him to get fired at the end of the year? But he can't walk around like his job is safe to the end of the season. I mean, it would still probably have to continue down this path. I'm not going to go as far as to predict it yet, but he he's not. If the question is, is he safe after this year? No way. No, there's no chance that that he could be. And, you know, it is really troubling to see not just the play calling, but the game planning. And, and it's just, it's so ugly and it's so bad on a week-to-week basis to see what you're getting from Nick Sirianni. And again, like I'm not telling you that Doug Peterson did a good job last year. He didn't do a good job. But I do think it's important to think about the extenuating circumstances and the fact that you didn't have an offseason and you didn't have the ability to get together and OTAs and all this stuff. Because that stuff does matter. In football, more than every other sport, those off-season activities, the preparation time, that really matters in preparing your football team. And just as we are seeing Jalen Hurts being put at a massive disadvantage by a head coach who, you know, refuses to do the things to make him successful, Doug Peterson was at the same disadvantage last year, playing with a quarterback who refused to do the things that he was being instructed to do and refused to run the plays that he was being instructed to run. And why, as people are screaming last year about, you know, the offense looking no different because of Doug's play calling, you know, look at look at all the plays Wentz is audibling out of at the line of scrimmage. Look at the reports later in the year that he was essentially calling his own plays in the huddle. And if Jalen Hurts is being put at that disadvantage by his head coach, you got to understand Doug Peterson was at a very similar disadvantage uh, playing with a quarterback who who was not doing his job the way that he was supposed to be doing it last year. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. And when I look at this, and you look at the Sirianni hire, the Doug firing, and everything that's gone down, it's important to note, and this is something that that – bothers me 
But this is a Jeffrey Lurie problem. And I know people love screaming about Howie, and I'm not here to make excuses for Howie Roseman. Yes, I think he's a better front office executive than most people do. But this was a Jeffrey Lurie decision. Like, Howie makes a lot of decisions in this organization. Makes a lot of, you know, free agent signings, trades, is involved in draft picks, even though that's not that's a very collaborative process, as you put it. There's only one person in this organization that is making the call on firing a head coach, and it is not Howie Roseman. Like, this goes above even his head. And not a lot of things do, but this is a Jeffrey Lurie decision. And, you know, when people will criticize the hiring of Sirianni and scream about Howie, and it's just something I feel needs to be pointed out, because in many instances, I think people are lazy in their analysis of the Eagles front office and just like the, the, the answer to everything is just how he's the devil, you know, how he is, is an idiot, you know, analytics, uh, you know, nerd typing things on a computer, whatever you want to say. That's usually uh, a lot of people's analysis of what goes wrong in the Eagles organization. It's just how he's a nerd and it just ends there. How he, how he's a number cruncher. It, that that's really lazy analysis. And it's important to look deeper into it. And when you look at, a move like the hiring and firing of a head coach, that is strictly a Jeffrey Lurie decision. And you know what? Uh, uh, You know, as we listen back to last year, how he wanted to keep Doug, how he wanted to do exactly what I am saying the Eagles should have done at the time. And here was Mike Garofalo. This was, you know, I, I think the day after they fired Doug Peterson, here was Mike Garofalo on how the Eagles organization came to that final decision. I'm told that this was a Jeffrey Lurie decision here. There are three big uh, voices in the Eagles organization. It's Jeffrey Lurie, it's Howie Roseman, it's team president uh, Don Smolensky. And from what I gather, it was the one loudest voice, the only one you really need on this one, Jeffrey Lurie, who really made the push for Doug Peterson to be dismissed here. Uh, and that Howie Roseman and Smolensky were trying to, to salvage the situation and get those two back on the same page and go forward with Doug Peterson still as the head coach of the team. Now, that's pertinent here in response to your question because I don't get the sense that this team expected a coaching search to be happening right now. So they're kind of scrambling a little bit. We're seeing uh, the requests are in for Robert Sala uh, and Todd Bowles right now. Those two have been out there. We can confirm that. Uh, But I I wouldn't look at it and say, oh, these are the targets. Because right now, this team is just getting its feet underneath it as they start a coaching search while six other teams are already deep into theirs. So I think there's a little bit of frustration on that part. Uh, And I think it's tough to get a read right now on who's going to wind up being the guy for the Eagles. And there it is right there. Like, this is a Jeffrey Lurie problem. And a lot of the Eagles issues go back to Jeffrey Lurie and his haphazard decision-making. And and this is not the way Jeffrey Lurie was for a lot of his tenure as owner of this team. This seems to be a more recent development. And when you look at Jeffrey Lurie and the issues that have gone on within the Eagles organization, it all does go back to 2017. And it goes back to the fact that Jeffrey Lurie, more than anybody, and we talk about in 2017, that season, I think it inflated a lot of egos within this organization. I think it, infl- it certainly inflated Carson Wentz's ego. It inflated Doug's ego. 
It inflated Howie's ego, but more than anybody, it inflated Jeffrey Lurie's ego. And it made Jeffrey Lurie start to think he is something he is not, which is a football guy. Like, these are not decisions Jeffrey Lurie should be making on the fly against the recommendation of his general manager, against the recommendation of his team president, and that's how you end up with a guy like Nick Sirianni. Because Jeffrey Lurie just decides, oh, I don't like what I heard in, in the interview we had with Doug after the season, so let's just go out, we'll find somebody to replace him. That's not a good process to go through when you're finding your next head coach. This is an incredibly important job. It is the most important job, uh, you know, certainly on a game day basis within an organization. And you hear it right there. And I know a lot of people scream about Howie and, you know, how could he hire an idiot like Sirianni? This is just somebody that he wanted to control. Listen to Mike Garofalo right there. Mike Garofalo is as plugged in with the Eagles as any reporter out there. And he said this was strictly a Jeffrey Lurie decision and that Howie and Smolensky were, like, pleading with Lurie to keep Doug, and he just wouldn't do it. So remember that as we're watching this, you know, Nick Sirianni offense on a week-to-week basis. This is blood that is on Jeffrey Lurie's hands. And this is an owner problem way more than it is a front office problem. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Uh, let's get it started on the phones with Theodore in East Oak Lane. What's up, Theodore? Hey, how y'all doing? Eagle Nation out there. Listen, you know what? It's a problem. It's a problem. Every, You know what? If, if they just listen to y'all, to sports radio, I think we would have like uh, uh, three Super Bowls. That's a good. That's a good idea. Uh, I mean, if they just listen to sports radio, I'm just telling you, the coaches listen to y'all. Everybody more in the news. Run, run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Uh, they do them things. You know what, Theodore? You know, I will. We have like yeah, five the, Super Bowls right now. Yeah, Theodore. You know what? The more I think about it, the more I I don't think that's a theory that would really work because I I do think part of the reason the Phillies fired Gabe Kapler is because we were all screaming they should do that, and that turned out to be a stupid decision. So, yeah, I don't know. Did I, I just kill your argument there? No, no, you didn't. You didn't, you didn't. It's okay. all it's all good. Well, you know, I, I, it's just frustrating. That's all. It's just basically frustrating, and um, I just wanted to say, um, I'm just gonna leave it at that, man. Okay. Well, I appreciate it, Theodore. Damn, what happened there? I mean, you really deflated Theodore. I, man. I didn't mean to. I was just making a point, but he came in with a lot of energy, and then his energy just like. Completely totally, evaporated. I, you felt the air just go out of the balloon there. It it sounded like through the phone, like the air physically like Literally. came out of his body, and he just had nothing left. Yeah, was, you got to pace yourself on these calls. You know, we get worked up about our teams here, but you got to have a rebuttal. Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, just a, it, just a little frustrating. A little more stamina. Could you? I, do you think we're qualified to run these teams? No, no, because because no. I sure as hell don't. <laughs> For a minute, I'm like, you know what? That's not a bad idea. But then I did remember the whole Kapler thing, and that. And by the way, that's sad, sad for Gabe, man. That's a tough. I, way I to was go bummed out. too. It, it is. That's a tough way to go out. Uh, game five, uh, you know, tie game late, uh, and Bellinger gets the big hit, uh, and the giant, the Giants go out in five. Um, now the Dodgers down 2-0. That's a, that's a surprise. Well, development. we've seen this before, though. The, 3-1 the, last year, right? The Braves had a 3-1 lead on the Dodgers last year. So, But that, 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 that let's face it, that didn't really count. But it was still a seven-game series. Like, the Braves 
should not have forgotten. Yeah, that. but I mean, it was in, what, in some neutral site stadium in Texas. It was a neutral site, but and he they just won two games in Atlanta. Now they're going to Dodger Stadium for three. I don't count. I don't count that World Series of the Dodgers. And I always said going into that season, I would be so happy with any sports, no asterisk, no anything. Would but you be saying that if the Phillies won? No, of course not. No, so it's selective. But baseball, and you know, baseball to me, weirdly, when you look at 2020, was this was the affected the most? Affected the most, like by not having fans. Obviously, the 60 game nature of it is. 60 games for a baseball season is a ridiculous. Well, just, it size. was by far the most different because the NBA, the Sixers ended up playing, what, 73 games. The bubble was weird. We waited four months to do it, but we still finished out almost all of the regular season and played the full postseason as best as they could, right? right they they right. were still playing the series. Baseball was only 60 games as opposed to 162, but they still went through the playoffs. And I didn't, I, I didn't realize how... How much, um, you know, like fans mattered in in baseball until they weren't there, and like you, and, and playing or in sports in general, I would argue, right? And playing in different ballparks, like, okay, you play in a neutral site game last year. If you play that Yankees Red Sox game in any other stadium, in Major League Baseball, Yankees win that game. Like the the ballpark in which you're playing in matters. If, if you're playing anywhere else other than it's Fenway only, Park, it's the only sport in North American professional sports where the a the dimensions change from stadium to stadium. B, your I've always found it weird that we're playing baseball games now in October. Like it was cold in Atlanta tonight. It's warm all summer. Like literally the game physically changes so much. Starting pitchers go really deep into games during the season and you see a total different managerial structure in the playoffs. It's night and day. Right. And when you had a 60 game season in in neutral sites and we had some fans in Texas last year, but to my overall point, whether you count it or not, like the Braves in a playoff series, which was the same but different, different because it was in a neutral site, but the same in that it was a seven-game series up against the Dodgers, they had they were one game away three separate times and couldn't close last year. So this series is not over, oh, no. especially three games going to L.A. now. Yeah, and we'll see how it plays out. But, and just to, you know, quickly relate it to the Phillies is – I'll tell you what you and I. I've this play this postseason. I think has been great so far, and just in general, baseball game, playoffs are just fine. Yeah. Game one and two of Dodgers Braves was tremendous. You watch all these teams. Oh, the Phillies are so far away. It's just like the Braves. This is the team you're fighting with in your division. They're without like a top th- what three to five player in baseball, yeah. and they're still this much better than you are. And by the way, Freddie Freeman has done nothing but strike out in right. this series. Right? Could you imagine? Like, Philly's down Harper, and then insert Real Muto, or let's say Hoskins was still available, and that guy struck out basically every bat he's had in games one and two. Is there any shot the Phillies would be up 2-0 against the Dodgers? No. Literally zero. No. But don't don't forget, Dan, Dobrowski said everybody's f- afraid of them. Everybody, I, nobody every, wanted every, to play the Phillies at the <laughs> end Everyone the was afraid to play them, and, yeah. and they were all you can ask for is a chance in the final and, week. And this sucks. They I had guess, a chance. I guess at this point we're not going to get a Middleton presser this year. I guess it's just not going to happen. Well, it just seems unlikely at this yeah. point. It's probably better from the PR perspective because everything. It's every time sh- he speaks, he says something dumb. It's a shame. I usually get a good week out of a Middleton presser. Yeah, because we, we, we cut it up here. We right. make fun of every last answer he had, and so they've been listening, and they're sick of getting made fun of. Yeah. So well, they'll just shut up. That's unfortunate. It is unfortunate. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. You know, I, I want to know if people have been having these same thoughts that I've had about Doug Peterson. Um, and it's just frustrating when you see Sirianni had a full offseason 
a full offseason to mold an offense to Jalen Hurts, who is a unique style quarterback, but let's face it, it's not like we've never seen a guy like this before. Baltimore uh, runs a read option offense with Lamar Jackson. Arizona does read option stuff with Murray. Buffalo does this kind of stuff with Josh Allen. Like, we've seen this before. Um, Sirianni had an all-offseason to mold an offense to Jalen Hurts. And he's basically running a modified version of the Phillip Rivers Indianapolis offense from last year. Compare that to Doug, who in one week, Doug had one week last year to change an offense built around Carson Wentz over to Jalen Hurts for that for that New Orleans game. And he did it like almost seamlessly in that in that week and you remember that game that was a really good New Orleans defense and the Eagles did a lot of interesting things offensively. I would have liked to see Doug with a full off season with Jalen Hurts to see how it worked out. And if it didn't, fine. Clean sweep, get rid of the quarterback, get rid of the head coach, move on. To panic the way Jeffrey Lurie did, and yes, I will say Jeffrey Lurie because he's the one who made that decision, I'd set this franchise back uh, significantly. And at this point, if I had to bet, I would say Nick Sirianni. If, if say, you're, you're over under on games coached by Nick Sirianni as the Eagles head coach, if that's at 11.5 right now, I'd probably take the under. 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. 215-592-9494. When we get back, I have social media gripe. We'll do our full week six recap later on of the NFL. But I need to get to one thing that happened in one of these games on Sunday because it had to be one of the most vicious insults I have ever seen toward a fan base, and I absolutely loved it. We'll get to that when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. A few things I need to get to here before we get back to the phones. Um, We'll do our social media segment here. Before I have a gripe for you, um, I do have a – funny tweet that I saw on Saturday and I was on from about 7:30 to 10 on Saturday night after the Georgia Kentucky game that we carried on uh, the station in the afternoon um and I I mentioned this on Saturday night but this was a tremendous tweet as I was uh, you know ripping the uh fraudulent Penn State fans who were crying last week about oh, our starting quarterback got hurt that's why we lost to Iowa as Iowa then gets blown out by Purdue if you can't beat a team with your backup quarterback who gets spanked by Purdue, you suck anyway. Um, and I don't get this. Apparently, James Franklin now is one of the candidates for the LSU job. Like, they're getting rid of Coach O, which, um, you know, a lot of stuff went on. Um, not good around LSU. Um, and, you know, it seems like Coach O uh, isn't the great guy that, that we all kind of hoped he would be. Just his, um, you know, his voice makes you makes – you, Seemed like a a real down to earth uh, beloved guy, but a lot of bad stuff apparently went on at LSU. He's finishing out the season, then he'll be moved on, and apparently they want James Franklin. I don't understand why, um, but the Penn State people can can shut up. Uh, but Purdue had a great tweet on Saturday night where they said we just beat the number two out of Iowa. Great tweet. I mean, it was the tweet of the weekend. I saw it too. They're not going to be number two in the rankings anymore, and if you get the double meaning there. Uh, yeah, a good they, they had that one workshopped early in the week 
were praying that they could win so they could use it, and it worked out. And I'm glad we got to see Purdue win, so the world was blessed with that tweet, and a rare tweet that you were actually a fan of. Yeah, well, well done by the— if, if, if you get the Tom Kelly stamp of approval— it must be a good tweet. It's true. I well, it, as I judge it, that's I, I don't judge the way the majority judges. Obviously. No, I know, but you, you are a harsher judge than most. I would say. That's and so true. if you liked it, then the world definitely loved. In it. In which I've even judged your tweets. Oh, well, I know you have. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, big time. But but I thought Purdue's social media team. Props to them. My gripe today, and Dan, you had tried to guess it during a break earlier. It wasn't exactly what you guessed, but it, people who talk about how. You know, the Eagles can't emotionally break them on a Sunday. Like, now that, you know, I, thank goodness my uh, uh, my mental state will be intact today. It's like, all right, just shut up. Like, we get it, you're an Eagles They fan. ruined your Thursday into Friday, theoretically, so what's the difference? Right, but people have to, you know, make it make about, it about oh, so I care about the team so much that my mental state is at risk, and if the Eagles lose, I'm just emotionally broken. Like, just, just stop. I mean, you don't need to go so over the top of it. Every single time, uh, you know, it just so that that's my- very little pushback here. I'm very happy to say that, A, I agree with you and B, I don't even need to check. I definitely have never done this. That's my gripe. Another gripe that I had is I'm watching these games and it's the one o'clock g- witching hour into the four o'clock window. And I'm seeing a lot of tweets about what is apparently this great WNBA finals game now. Number one, I'm glad people are paying attention to the NBA Finals. I'm glad people are are watching it. But number two, what is this league doing having their finals going up against an NFL Sunday? Like, it doesn't seem to really be the best way to get people to watch your sport. Like, I I am not, you know, part of, um, you know, a TV programming crew. I don't know what goes into these decisions. But it doesn't seem to me that if you're trying to grow your league and grow your game, putting the finals and apparently, you know, Candace Parker, who I think is a tremendous analyst uh, on TNT, she won MVP. She had a great game. Um, but it's like if you're trying to get people to watch the sport, you're trying to grow the sport, just a word of advice. Don't put it up against NFL football on Sunday. It doesn't seem to be the best move. So my guess as to why this happened, and I agree with what you're saying, is that I believe ESPN carries it. And typically ESPN carries, I'll say, lower revenue sports on Sundays because they don't carry any NFL coverage, like Sunday 1 to 8. Right. So it does seem like they could have found a better time slot for it. Sure they could have. But I guess that's why, because like, and I'm not trying to compare the WNBA to bowling, but if you ever flip through the channels on a Sunday, a lot of times they have bowling or some other non-traditional sport, I'll call it, or non-traditional league going up against the NFL on a Sunday, which I always wonder, like, who's watching ESPN at 2.30 on a Sunday? Right, and I honestly, you know, I, I kind of feel for the athletes in this situation where— Like, get, if you're trying to get them exposure, like, give them right. the exposure. Don't—and this is actually a gripe I have with sports in general. Like, the baseball—I get you can't—like, other leagues don't want to cower to the NFL in general because it really seems like they just own Sundays in the fall and into the winter. But any other league, whether it's baseball, the NBA— NHL or any other major sporting event, it just always seems like a bad decision if you have anything on a Sunday between in the NFL regular season or into the playoffs. And it's really as simple as like you can play it on Sunday, just put it at night. Like put it, you have a better well, chance then you're going against Sunday night football. You have a better baseball. chance going against Sunday night football than you have going against the red zone. 
I I think. I don't know. Sunday Night Football is like the most watched thing every week, isn't it? But especially when you look, I mean, with that crappy game last night, I didn't watch a second of Seahawks Steelers. I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't want to watch Geno Smith and. But it's. And, I'm telling you, it still gets Phil, And Ben Roethlisberger in a wheelchair. I didn't you you watch may that. you may feel that way, and I agree with what you're saying about those two teams, but. I'm telling, like, there are often times, and as a baseball fan, I always want, like, there are times where there will be a bad football game, and because of betting, fantasy, whatever, it will get a higher rating than, like, a good baseball playoff game. Hmm. And I say, look, it's ridiculous that people are so stuck on the NFL to the point where you won't watch, like, a game in the NLCS that ended on a walk-off in the bottom of the ninth, but that is the product that the NFL is. They literally own a day of the week and have so much blind support, even for bad games because of fantasy betting or whatever else that it almost doesn't make any sense for any sport to ever go against it. WNBA, baseball, whoever. Yeah. And you know, you, you could be right. And I mean, I just think there are other options basically. And, and just uh, pick any other day, right? That, that, that's my only gripe with that. And I did want to get to something else in a second. We'll have a full, Week six recap uh, later, you know, we usually do it in the final segment at 5 a.m., our, our recap of the, the day that was in, in football. But I'm watching Red Zone, and I'm watching – they flipped to the Green Bay-Chicago game. And what, what, what I saw – and this is – being a Bears fan has got to be just a terrible existence. Like, we – like, think about the offense that we've had to watch this year and last year. Think about that being your offense for, like, 30 years. Like, the Bears have never, in my lifetime, I can't remember them ever having a good offense. Ever. Like, like what's the best Bears offense? The one with Rex Grossman uh, in, in Jay 2005? Yeah, I I mean, they've, been, they've been terrible offensively for years. Yeah, it was usually a defense, even those years with Erlacher. Like, they've had runs what's the, even the deepest run they've had in the playoffs like the divisional round yeah I mean well they went to that Super Bowl with Grossman back in 07 or oh, that's right against right Peyton but yeah 41 and they lost to the Colts yes right yes, yes, yes. so yeah. watching this game and meanwhile while you don't have an offense you have a guy on the other side who has just you know dominated you for years and years and years and years and Aaron Rodgers scores a touchdown and they flash to him in the close-up here's how it sounded on Fox Right on cue, Joe. I still love you. I still love you. He had some choice words there for the crowd. What do you say as a fan? And I'm I'm looking on Twitter and I'm seeing like Barstool Big Cat tweet out because he's like the resident Bears fan in the national media and and he talks all the time about how much Aaron Rodgers has like ruined his life as a as a football fan. And what do you do? As you're a Bears fan, and you have this guy who has tormented an entire generation of Chicago Bears fans, and this guy is screaming into the crowd, I still own you. And he, you can't say anything to it. He absolutely He's doesn't. 22-5 and five record career against the Bears. Yeah. I mean, he <laughs> that is just pure dominance. He's beat them in an NFC championship game. Like, he does own the Chicago he, Bears. He marches into Soldier Field every year and gets a win. Yeah. And then beats them at Lambeau, too. It, it, it's... It's unbelievable. Here's what Aaron Rodgers had to say about uh, why he was compelled to do that after the game. Sometimes you black out on the field. <laughs> in, a good, in a good way. Uh, I've definitely blacked out uh, from a concussion, which isn't a good way. But uh, I looked up in the stands, and in the front row, all I saw was a woman giving me the double bird. <laughs> so I'm not sure exactly what came out of my mouth next. I mean, just what a, what a, what a great taunt what a great insult to yeah and apparently 
There were more. Um, col- there was more colorful language before that. There's some words that oh. are not appropriate for the air. That I don't know if you cut or Fox right. cut. I, I think in real time, a few of them got over the air and then they bleeped it. But yeah. said, and the exact phrasing was, "All my bleeping life, I own you. I still own you," which is just what a what what a horrible misery it must be to be a Bears fan and to see this guy just dominate your division year in year out. Um, and this is a guy who Bears fans, they thought they had the light at the end of the tunnel this offseason when he was holding out. Yeah. That maybe he wouldn't come back to the Packers. That's and not happening. No one more upset that he decided to return to the NFC North in Green Bay than uh, the city of Chicago. Yeah. And that that was, I just love that insult. That was tremendous. And if you want to give me, I'll do a little side topic off this. Who's a, a player that owned a city and like what city did they own? Like, I guess a good one would be like Michael Jordan with New York, how he would. Wasn't Ben Roth- the Knicks every single year? Ben Roethlisberger at one point was the winning. I believe the name of the stadium in Cleveland is like First Energy Stadium. There was a point in time. I don't know if this is. I don't I, think it's still true. Where he was the winningest quarterback in the history of that stadium. I think he still is, unless no, Baker no, they, has surpassed him. I'm pretty sure. Let, uh, let me check on that because yeah. the answer for me is then Roethlisberger yeah. in Cleveland. That's a good one. So yeah, if you want to chime in on that, uh, give me a player who owned a city and what city they owned uh, off the Aaron Rodgers taunt, which was just tremendous um but uh if you want to and i feel bad for our boy sludge sludge was tweeting out um after the game that or during the game when aaron Rodgers did that how horrifying it was and uh feel bad for for so baker mayfield passed big ben last year in november okay but the fact that it took until the year 2020 for like until the year 2020 ben roethlisberger was the winningest quarterback in the history of first energy stadium stadium in cleveland pretty bad that that's he plays there once a year pretty bad yeah. <laughs> pretty bad uh 215-592-9494 if you want to get in mike tony abel get all you guys coming up next i gonna talk about the eagles your concerns about nick sirianni i mean i think it, we've moved past at this point uh, you know what he is as a coach i think we all know he's not equipped for this job and that begs the question should the eagles have given doug peterson an opportunity to work with Jalen Hurts, a full offseason, a full opportunity, a real chance for Doug Peterson to fix this offense and to mold his offense to Jalen Hurts. Because in one week last year, before New Orleans, we saw a better game plan for that New Orleans game with Jalen Hurts than we have seen all year this year after Nick Sirianni had a full offseason and has been unable to get anything accomplished. So if you want to get in on that, you're welcome to. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly with you on a Sunday night. 215-592-9494. If you want to get in, um, make sure you're tuned in this morning at 8.30. Nick Sirianni will join Angelo and the morning team as they uh, continue to dissect everything that happened on Thursday night. Thursday night was just hideous. Like Offensively, that game was was terrible. And the final score is in no way indicative of, of the, com- the competitiveness level of that game. I mean, the game was not competitive at all. The Eagles stood no chance. The play calling just continues to be horrendous. And, yeah, a lot of it is not running the ball at all. I mean, to, to, to send a guy like Jalen Hurts out there against a good defense, a good defensive front, and a defensive coordinator like Todd Bowles, who is one of the best in football, and to not do anything 
to give them a different look, to not do anything that's going to make them think twice about just pinning their ears back and rushing the passer, it's malpractice. Like, it is completely putting your quarterback in a spot where he has no opportunity to succeed. And I'm not telling you Jalen Hurts, you know, played well. I'm not telling you Jalen Hurts should be the future of this team. I I don't know about Jalen Hurts. And that's the frustrating part is this season, as I viewed it, and I talked to Ricky about this, it's not about the playoffs. I mean, I'm not going to go through the schedule and look at, you know, what the Eagles' path to the postseason is. If they get there, great. But this season is about finding out whether you have a quarterback or whether you need a quarterback. And the way you're going about things right now and the situations you're putting Jalen Hurts in, you're not getting a read on that. You're not getting a valuation of that. And you're not going to unless things change in a significant way. And the game plans have gotten worse. Like, the adjustments are, are non-existent. The, the, the preparation looks just, just nonsensical. Um, and it, it just makes me... It makes me think, and uh, when I get to thinking about this kind of this kind of thing, start to think about you know what would this have looked like with a full year with Doug? What would it have looked like if Doug got a full off season, no COVID? You have regular off season program. You're you know uh, running the team the way you typically run it. Doug's had success in the past, had success in limited sample size with Jalen Hurts last year when he had to change everything on the fly. Um, especially when you see Sirianni having a full offseason and not being able to modify anything to Jalen Hurts' strengths, uh, they would have been better off. They would have been better off just giving Doug Peterson one more opportunity to fix this. And if it doesn't work out, blow everybody out after this season and you rebuild, might be in that position anyway. 215-592-9494. Let's go to Mike in South Philly. What's up, Mike? Hey, how's it going, Tom? What's happening, man? Uh, yeah, before the Eagles stop, um, yeah, I just want to say I'm really – Really sad to hear about uh, Steve from uh, Glenside yeah. slash Tampa passing away. Yeah, uh, Steve, yeah. Steve in uh, Tampa, if, if uh, people didn't hear Ricky earlier, Steve passed away over the weekend. And obviously a great caller, a guy I've been talking to since I was uh, producing here. And, uh, yeah, a caller for many years. So condolences to Steve's family. Yeah, I, he loved WIP. Like, he did, he truly really adored your station. I remember – he would often call in and talk about, like, he'd have little, like, uh, WIP memorabilia, like, like power, paraphernalia. Uh, like, he, I remember, he, I think it was, like, a coffee mug or something he had. And, uh, you know, and he loved calling. And I just, every time he called, I would hear in his voice just how much he adored this station. And you, you knew you are loyal. Like, when you, like, when most people retire and move out of the city, you know, they just kind of leave. Not leave all of their old life behind them. But, you know, like, you, you know, when you move to Florida, you're kind of, like, in the next chapter of your life. But he stayed loyal to the end, man. He called this station uh, just as frequently uh, from Florida as he did in you know, the, the Philadelphia area. Yeah, no doubt about it. And and, and thanks for thanks for mentioning that, Mike. Because uh, yeah, I mean, Steve is is you know uh, one of the legendary callers of this station. And and like you said, I mean, I've been hearing Steve call this station since I was a listener uh, before I worked here. Yeah, yeah, same, same. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, <clears throat> yeah, I agree. Um, I, I do think Sirianni could be one and done. You know what I, you know what I thought about too recently? I don't know how much input Howie had on the hiring of Sirianni, but I, I do I do remember that that part um, that Mike Garofalo brought up that you know kind of Howie was kind of leaning toward keeping Doug, and it made me think like 
obviously, I don't think Howie Roseman is at any risk of being fired anytime soon, but I don't think like he's GM for life either. I think at the end of the day, Laurie will side with self-preservation, and if things get really, really bad, he'll make Howie the scapegoat. But I do think it would have to get really, really bad. But if Sirianni is going to make Howie Roseman's draft picks look awful, then you know Howie's going to be whispering in Laurie's ear for his own self-preservation. Yeah. Like, you know, like if at the end of the season, Devontae Smith doesn't look like a first-rounder, uh, I think Sirianni's lack of uh, scheme and, and, you know, play design and, you know, lack of being able to get Jalen Hurts to succeed at a high level will all impact that. And, you know, Harry Roseman's going to be whispering in Lurie's ear, hey, we want to need a new coach in here, you know, if for nothing else to make his draft picks look better. No, no doubt, Mike. And, and as you know, like, I don't think Howie's the primary problem. I don't think Howie's done a great job over the last few years. But when I look at since 2017 – the biggest difference to me is Jeffrey Lurie has gotten way too involved. He makes way too many decisions that, you know, he's making essentially on his own and not listening to the people around him. And and I'm going to end up playing that Garofolo thing again later on this hour. But I, I just remembered that that report after Doug was fired that, that Howie and, and Smolensky were essentially urging Lurie, you know, don't do this. And if Jeffrey Lurie is going rogue and making these kind of decisions – that is not a formula for success. No, certainly not. And, you know, as much as I rip Howie, I've ripped Lurie in the last year just as much as I rip Howie right. because Lurie's the one that's enabled all this nonsense. And I think Lurie has been a good owner for the majority of, of his Eagles uh, tenure here. Um, but, I mean, let's be real. I think since the Super Bowl, he's gotten a, a too big of a head and he's kind of, and it's definitely affected the way he's done things. But I was, I was really, it was really, really disconcerting just two two specific things that stood out over the past that happened in 2021 that really really concerned me was one that opening press conference where he made excuse after excuse about Howie. Now you can make excuses all you want, but the excuses he gave were lame. Like when he was asked about the, the missed draft picks, he said, "Well, guys were taken right before us. What we told them trade up or or, right. or picked another guy who's good. Like that was lame. But the whole the way they handled Doug Peterson was so such amateur hour nonsense. It, like, it was and. Mike, I, I don't. Yeah, sure, I, yeah. I just want to stop you for a second. Yeah. It was wrong. Like, like it was wrong to do what they did to Doug. Who, regardless of what you think of Doug as a coach, like Doug was a, 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 a is a good guy who was a good person in the organization here. Who did the things he was asked to do, and and you know play calling whatever and game plans. He had some <clears throat> issues, but Doug was overall a very good coach here. And I thought they treated him pretty poorly on the way out the door, especially Lori. Yeah, and I was like, I was cool if they got rid of Doug, but hey, if you're going to get rid of Doug, hey, you have to have a guy lined up who you know is going to be better, which they didn't do. They were scrambling, and B, you don't tell him he has his job job back, and then like a couple weeks later, go never mind, you're fired. I'm like, that is a terrible look, and that would really have me concerned that Jeffrey Lurie has totally lost the plot, because if you're like a well run well run organizations don't do that. You don't tell your coach he's coming back, and then like a week later say, nah, never mind, you're fired. Like that just it was such an amateurish look. And then remember during that whole process, they were interviewing all these coaches and nobody wanted to come here. They wanted Riley. They wanted Dable. None of them wanted to come here and they couldn't find the right guy. And then all of a sudden, like they kind of stumble into Nick Sirianni. It just, it had a, it, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. And there's no surprise that it's not working out. I mean, this was obviously always the most probable scenario because of how the whole thing played out and you're seeing it. And this does all go back to Jeffrey Lurie. 
Everything goes back to Jeffrey Lurie. He needs to make significant changes to this organization. He needs to change the process in which he runs the organization. And like everything that you're seeing, it all goes back to dysfunction. How many stories did we see? We saw one from The Athletic. It was like a, a multi-reporter piece. There was like multiple contributors. It was Bo and Shield and Zach. They all contributed. Yeah. And then there's multiple reports from Jeff McClain. Remember Jeff McClain did like a really, really long piece of like the front office and all the mistakes yeah, that they've done? Now that you mentioned that, Mike, I actually have some McClain sound from that time period I'll get to later on. So Yeah, it was just it's such so dysfunctional. And like you said, like we won't know for certain um how good Jalen Hurts is, but he, here's here's the, the bottom line, Tom. And in in the NFL, if you're if you're going to be consistently relevant, you have to have either an elite quarterback or an elite coach. You know, or the truly great teams have both. They have that great quarterback coach combo. Those are the teams that make a playoffs every year or almost every year, you know, barring injury. You know, that's where the Eagles need to be. They, they need to at least get one of those two things. Or right now they have neither. At least it, it, it looks very, very likely that they don't have the coach. It looks kind of sort of the same for Hertz, but I think, like you said, with Nick Sirianni's awful coaching, we don't know for sure. Right. But if this organization is going to get back to that level where they make the playoffs semi-regularly or if not every year, they need to find one of those two things, and they have neither. But the problem is with their total dysfunction under Jeffrey Lurie, I have no confidence they're going to they're gonna find either yeah, of those things. No doubt, Mike, and I appreciate yeah, it, take man. Care. Thanks. And, and, you know, and the Lurie thing – a lot of it goes back to Laurie, and I think he's got this obsession with I need to find the next Andy Reid. Well, guess what? There isn't enough, a next Andy Reid. Like, Andy Reid's don't just grow on trees. <laughs> you know, Andy Reid's are coaches that come through a city once in a lifetime. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know if in my lifetime as an Eagles fan, I'll see another coach as good as Andy Reid. Like, those guys, you just don't find guys like that. And... Lurie is so obsessed with finding that next guy when you you're not going to find him. Like, and I don't know if it would have been better this year with it would have been better with Doug than this. Like, there's no doubt in my mind the offense would look better with Doug than it looks right now. But Doug Peterson was not a bad coach. Like Doug Peterson had his flaws, like every coach has his flaws. But Doug Peterson was not a bad coach, and you did not need to fire him. And what's even worse is you did it against the advice of the two top lieutenants in your organization. And it's just so troubling to me, and it's so obvious to anybody who really cares to look. Like, when you just get beyond the screaming about Howie Rose, because we can do that forever. I mean, everybody's going to do it, and I whatever. I, I, I get it. He's the GM. Not making excuses for him. He has made mistakes. This organization is not in the position they are in because of Howie Roseman. They're in the position they are in because of Jeffrey Lurie. And because Jeffrey Lurie, after the Eagles won the Super Bowl in 2017, he just started to believe he was Robert Kraft. Like, honestly, that's what what I think. And I think he believes that he was responsible for so much of the success. um, And and he's so, you know, confident in his abilities to evaluate football uh, when that's not his job. That's not something he should be involved in. This is a Jeffrey Lurie problem. Um, and until he recognizes he's the problem, unfortunately, it's really not going to change. Uh, let's go to Abe in Allentown. What's up, Abe? Hey, how are you today? Good. How are you? Uh, I can't complain. Hey, I just got off the phone with uh, Nick Sirianni, and uh, he's telling me that they're going to run the ball this Sunday. 
Really? Uh, how many? How many times, Abe? How many times are they going to run the ball whole like um, uh, ten times in this game? Oh, he's he's calling for at least thirty carries. Thirty quarter. carries, eh? Wow, <laughs> that would be that would be something if Sirianni just came out and completely flipped the script and just ran the ball every single play against the Raiders. Uh, honestly, if they start running the ball, that's going to open up the offense and it's going to have the defense instead of honestly. Other teams that play us, they know that we're not going to run the ball, or at least not run the ball as many as like a normal amount of time that as a an NFL team would run. But they really, I don't know what they're thinking. I mean, it's it's not that hard. It, like run the damn ball. It's common sense, I guess. But I mean, I'm not an NFL coach. I don't know what's going on in the uh, game planning room. I don't know if maybe it's the front office, like. Jeffrey Laurie uh, going to the coach and saying, hey, this, we need to see what Jalen Hurts has this year, so let's try to make him throw but, the but, ball. But, Abe, like, that's the thing. Like that, that, Throwing the ball 50 times doesn't give you a better idea of what Jalen Hurts is. It, it only dilutes finding out what he is. Like you got sure, yeah. you, you need to have a, a, an, an offense that mixes things up to get a true appraisal of what a quarterback is. And that's what's so baffling to me is, like, Sirianni's got this offense that he's expecting Jalen – he's treating Jalen Hurts like he's an MVP candidate and this guy can just carry the entire team. And no young quarterback is going to succeed in this kind of circumstance. Can I ask you a question? Do you think it's Nick Sirianni, uh, like, uh, trying to – like, basically putting the whole entire team on – Hurts his back, or is it Lori forcing Sirianni to do that? I think, Abe, I think that Sirianni knows that the Eagles prefer a passing offense as opposed to a running offense primarily. Like, I think he sure. knows that, but I also don't think he's getting orders throw the ball 90% of the time. Like, I think he, is, he has a vague idea of what the front office wants or what the owner wants, Um and he is taking it to an absurdly extreme level that is not good for anybody. So, no, I don't think this is a game plan that is coming down from up top. I think this is Nick Sirianni. And the reason why they throw the ball so much is they don't run in the early, and they get when they and their beginning drives. Either if they don't like get a rhythm going, they would have like three incomplete passes. Their defense comes on. And now the other team scores, and we're trying to get the passing game going, and we fell at that, and the team scores again. Now we're trying to come back from behind, throwing all these passes, and now we have, like, no time to run the ball. Right. So that's – yeah. Yeah, I, I hear you. No, I hear you, Abe, and, and uh, I appreciate the call, man. Thanks. I, 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 I don't think it's a time issue. Like, Sirianni made that excuse in the Dallas game. Oh, well, you know, we were down. You were down 13 points in the third quarter. Like, you weren't down a significant amount to where you had the time working against you late in that game. Time wasn't an issue at all. The guy just doesn't just doesn't know what he's doing. Like, Dan, do you see it the same way? That it's just that simple that he, he's just not ready for this job. He's not ready for this opportunity. And I think you can see that in his body language on the sideline. Like, dude looks overwhelmed. And he's looked overwhelmed from day one in the press conference. I know he got better at the whole public speaking thing, but this is a guy who was a receivers coach, moved his way up to offensive coordinator in Indianapolis, and then got asked to be the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. 
whether it's because Lori Roseman, or maybe more specifically Lori, as you've kind of outlined here, thought they would have control over him because he had a similar philosophy, whatever the case might be, he was never the top candidate. We heard that he was down in Florida anyway, and they kind of just gave him an interview on a whim, and he ended up getting the job. But I think we're seeing that he's not qualified, and perhaps it's not really fair to him either because what you know he wants to take a head coaching job. He, of course, believes that he can do it. But this could really... Like, it just seems like he was put in this situation unfairly. I agree with you, by the way, on the whole Doug thing. I was a huge Doug fan. I think I came on with you right the week after, the weekend after they fired Doug, saying I wouldn't have fired Doug so fast. It was the right. first time he hadn't made the playoffs since they literally won the Super Bowl. It seemed like a mistake to get rid of him. It seemed like the egos in the front office had gotten too big that led to this. And, you know, even though Jeff Lurie has a history of perhaps hiring well on the whole I on the early the early returns on this do not look positive and no I think he's just simply overmatched and in and over his head yeah and it just it didn't make sense to do it the way you did it and we'll we'll replay you in the next segment here the Mike Garofalo report where there's a lot of revisionist history and and people will blame you know Howie Roseman and the people in the front office uh, this was a Jeffrey Lurie decision like Jeffrey Lurie was the one who decided to fire Doug Peterson maybe Howie's the best liar ever uh, I know people you know think he is dishonest in some ways Howie Roseman when Howie and Doug sat there for that press conference day after the season Howie didn't seem to me like a guy who was getting ready to fire Doug Peterson Maybe, maybe he's good. You probably at wouldn't it. hold the press conference right. if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, it didn't seem like Howie or Doug were talking under any illusion. That decision was made after that meeting. Th- this was a possibility, right? And uh, you know, this is a, a Jeffrey Lurie problem, and it will continue to be until Jeffrey Lurie realizes he's the problem. Let's go to Dave and Cherry Hill. What's up, Dave? Hey, good morning. Good morning, Dave. How's it going, man? Uh, pretty good. How are you? I'm all right. Good. Uh, I'd like to comment on the Sirianni thing, but if I might f- say first that Aaron Rodgers, uh, I'd hate to be him in the next Chicago Bears game. He's going to have such a target on him. He can't blame anybody if he gets that uh, knocked out. Oh, Dave, that was a great insult, though. I mean, he does he does own them. He owns that entire city. It's bulletin board material, though. My yeah. goodness. It's not going to matter. They're the Bears, Dave, and he's Aaron Rodgers. I don't think it's going to matter. The Bears got much. Khalil Mack. I mean, come on. They, they can get to him. To, they haven't been able to stop him for 15 years. Well, by putting him underground, it'll stop him. I'll tell you that. All but right. Anyway, getting to Sirianni, uh, I, uh, I think you're off base on that prediction, uh, 11 and a half under. Uh, he's got to last the whole season. Uh well, he's got and, 11, unless he's got he loses the team, if, if the team quits on him or goes against him, then he could uh, get fired. But other than that, he's got to be a whole season. Well, yeah, well, they got 11 left, Dave. That was why I said it at 11 and a half, because uh, they got 11 games left uh, because they have the extra week this year. So uh, that's why I put it at, at, at that number, that he'd coach out the season and then maybe get fired when the season's over. Oh, you mean – you mean eleven and a half starting from from now or right. from the beginning? He's starting oh, okay. from now. I should have I should have clarified that. My bad. All right, I didn't understand it well. Yeah. Well, but uh, as far as uh, as uh, uh, Peterson's concerned, uh, I think that he probably wanted to get out of there at that point. He, he just seemed so down about the whole whole way everything was going. Uh, it was probably more mutual at the very end. 
But yeah, I don't think that's I could Im- be wrong on that. I don't think that's impossible, Dave. I think there were things that Doug didn't like, but but like I think they could have come to an understanding. And I think, you know, Howie and other people in the organization, along with Doug, were trying to come to that understanding. And then based on the reporting that, that we have, this was a Jeffrey Lurie decision where he's just like, I'm done with Doug. I don't want to see this anymore. We're going to move on. Yeah, well, yeah, it was um, hard to understand what happened. Uh, that's about as good as an as, uh, interpretation as I can see. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it, Dave. Thanks, buddy. Uh, yep. Ha- have a good one. And when we get back, I will replay you that Mike Garofolo cut from after the season because I think this lends a lot to the, what really goes on within this Eagles organization and why Jeffrey Lurie really is the primary one to blame for why we have – Let's face it, a guy who is not head coaching material as the Eagles head coach right now. Uh, because the Eagles head coach right now should still be Doug Peterson, not Nick Sirianni. So we'll get to that Garofolo report from the day after Doug was fired. And also some sound from Jeff McClain. He was on the station um, back in March when he wrote a story on the Eagles front office, and he talked about Jeffrey Lurie's involvement. So I want to get to those when we get back. Tom, Steve, Anthony, we'll get all you guys in the next segment. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. Programming reminder for you, Nick Sirianni will be joining Angelo Cataldi and the WIP morning team today at 8.30 a.m., you know, doing this appearance, not Friday morning, day after a night game. So Sirianni will be on today at 8.30. Make sure you're tuned in for that. Uh, In the next segment, we're going to talk to – Buddy Bill Kornfeld, 1210 uh, WPHT. Um, Bill's a, a big hockey guy, and we need to we need to get a little Flyers update slash season preview from uh, Bill Kornfeld. Seattle Kraken in town tonight. Dave Haxtell. I, I did not know that Dave Haxtell was still in hockey, let alone the Kraken's coach. I, I know oh, you got to get with the program. That they, was a revelation. First coach in franchise history. Yeah, I did. I did not know that until the other night. I honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. I have not thought about Dave Haxtell one time. Since the day left. One single time since the day he was fired. I barely thought about him while he was here. So he'll be back at the Wells Fargo Center tonight. Big, I guess, revenge game with the Flyers That's and huge. the Kraken tonight. By the way, the Seattle Kraken playing a game in Philly before they're playing a game in Seattle. Wow. They haven't played a home game yet. How about that? So uh, I saw they played in Vegas the other night. That Vegas Golden Knights, man, they put on a show at every – Every game, they have this big pregame routine. They had like a a a, a night slaying like a, a 3D kraken on the ice, but, but not a real that? kraken. No, I, I mean, they, yeah. well, they don't exist. Yeah, well, I, I heard uh, well, that. Well, I guess that's night. up yeah. for debate. We don't know about. We that, don't know if they exist. Right. That's but that's. We, we do want to specify not a real kraken. Not a real kraken. We're not. Uh, we're we're not. Um, you know, no animals were harmed in the making. And then making of that. Of that 3D image, yeah, right, exactly. So uh, we'll, we'll get a little. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, we'll get a little Flyers talk in here with Bill coming up. Uh, we'll get to the Sixers um, at some point here. Ben was at practice on Sunday, and I, I, I said Saturday night. I have made a purchase. Um, I will be boots on the ground on Friday night at the Wells Fargo Center, and I'm, ex- I'm excited, man. I can't wait. I don't know what that atmosphere is going to be like. I know last week I had encouraged fans to cheer because I, it was better for Ben's trade value. I don't know if I'll be able to follow my own advice. You know, I get down. Wait, wait, wait. The, the 
you think the trade value is going to go up if you cheer? I think it could. I think if it's such a negative situation to where like this is just obviously not tenable, and the Sixers do decide we got to get rid of him immediately because the the you know it's so uncomfortable him playing at home that could factor in. Um, because I think it's best. I think the whole thing has been so spoiled. I I, I don't think you cheering or booing has a hell of a lot to do with it. If you want my honest opinion, probably on that. not. But it's best for everybody that he plays for six to eight weeks, plays well, the trade value goes up. But even though I, I encourage fans to do that, just know I'm probably a fraud because I get down no, there. No, I don't think anyone's going to be following your advice yeah. if you want my honesty. Yeah. yeah, and if I get down there, you know, you get a couple beers in you, the boo the boo is the natural what are we instinct. Setting, what are we setting the odds, though, here that he plays in this game? I, like, I, like, you bought these tickets with the idea that he's going to play. I hope he plays. I, I, I damn well hope he plays. He should play. I, mean, why, I don't understand why he wouldn't play. Like, if he's at practice, and he's not limited... and But, we'll, he, but he wants to collect a paycheck. Well, he doesn't really want to play. Right, but that's not up to him. That's, that, like, that, what is the team benefit from that? From that? You know, if, if the, he's sulking all week at practice, and they think it's actually going to be be a net negative to have him on the floor. We'll see. I mean, uh, but I would play him. And, and Doc said he was full go at practice on Sunday. We'll get to the Doc comments later on. We'll get to Tobias Harris, who Howard was... Uh, Trying to get uh, some info out of Tobias. Tobias wouldn't give it to him. A funny exchange there that we'll get to. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think he should play. I think he should play Wednesday, Re- and I think he should play Friday. Really quick, because we have never seen an athlete, an active athlete, hated to this level, maybe in the history of Philadelphia sports, sports in general, unless you can think of one that is more... Sports in general. I mean, we've got to think a long way. we got to think a long way. Can, can you remember in, out, in my lifetime, in your lifetime, which dates a little bit further back, of an athlete on a Philadelphia sports roster that was this disliked? No. Okay. No. The Sixers, you know, obviously it's a big deal. Opening night, you do the team intros. Can they introduce Ben Simmons and, like, expect, like, a hype reaction behind that? Have to. Have to. What are you going to do? You got to – what are you going to do, not start it? No, I – no, I'm – Yeah. I, but we've never seen anything like this. No, I like think – Matt Cord's going to go Matt Cord's going to do his whole thing. He's going to be like, from Ben yeah. Simmons, yeah. and everyone's going to – and the 20,000 people are going to boo. I don't, I don't know if that's going to happen. I really don't. Well, he's not going to get cheered. No way. Dan, Sixers fans, people that go down to that arena, they're weird. And and not calling Mike Angelina any names. Mike still likes Ben Simmons. Oh, I know he does. But he uh, hasn't wavered on that. I think they are an extremely fervent, irrationally supportive fan base. And it would not surprise me if he was cheered on Friday night. It, It wouldn't. So we'll see. Which is a um, long way from where we've come all right. summer long. But yeah. it's it's going to be interesting. 215-592-9494. But I did want to get back to the Eagles here. And we've been talking so much tonight about Nick Sirianni. As I said, he'll be on the morning show at 830. But, you know, how we got to this situation. And the issue is becoming increasingly more obvious to me that Doug Peterson should still be the head coach of this team. And, and that the Eagles made a mistake by getting rid of Doug Peterson when they did. And this is blood that is on Jeffrey Lurie's hands and nobody else. And it, a lot, so much of the organization and the issues they have come back to Jeffrey Lurie. You know, and as much as people want to scream about Howie, this is a Jeffrey Lurie problem, and it has been for some time. Here was Mike Garofolo just days after the season. I think it was the day after Doug got fired on how the Eagles came to that decision. I'm told that this was a Jeffrey Lurie decision here. There are three big 
uh, voices in the Eagles organization. It's Jeffrey Lurie, it's Howie Roseman, it's team president uh, Don Smolensky. And from what I gather, it was the one loudest voice, the only one you really need on this one, Jeffrey Lurie, who really made the push for Doug Peterson to be dismissed here. Uh, and that Howie Roseman and Smolensky were trying to, to salvage the situation and get those two back on the same page and go forward with Doug Peterson still as the head coach of the team. Now, that's pertinent here in response to your question because I don't get the sense that this team expected a coaching search to be happening right now. So they're kind of scrambling a little bit. We're seeing uh, the requests are in for Robert Sala uh, and Todd Bowles right now. Those two have been out there. We can confirm that. Uh, but I-, I wouldn't look at it and say, oh, these are the targets. Because right now, this team is just getting its feet underneath it as they start a coaching search while six other teams are already deep into theirs. So I think there's a little bit of frustration on that part. Uh, and I think it's tough to get a read right now on who's going to wind up being the guy for the Eagles. And that's the problem because it set the Eagles back in the coaching search process where if you're going to fire Doug, you need to know that a month ahead of time. You need to know that, you know, when you're going into the New Orleans game or going into the Arizona game. And and when you see the game plan Doug Peterson put together on one week's notice for New Orleans, like they bench Carson during the Green Bay game, they had one week to put that that game plan together for Jalen Hurts. And it was innovative. It was totally different than whatever we saw before that with Wentz. They played the Jalen Hurts' strengths. They put him in situations to succeed. Nick Sirianni had a full offseason. And he's not done anything to cater to Jalen Hurts' strengths. And doesn't look like he has any ability to make adjustments or to game plan or to call plays or, or do any of this stuff. While we might have complained about with Doug at times, he was at least competent. Like, Doug was at least experienced and knew what he was doing to a degree that could have a football team win games and could have a quarterback be successful, regardless of who that quarterback was. But, you know, Jeffrey Lurie making that decision, that kind of ill-advised decision, against the advice of his top lieutenants, is really concerning. When Howie and Don Smolensky are urging Jeffrey Lurie, no, this is not a good idea. Let's keep Doug. Let's move forward. Let's go another year and see what happens. That's a really bad sign. And I know a lot of the screaming comes to Howie and a lot of the the criticism is directed towards him. And while some of it is valid, most of it should be directed up top because Jeffrey Lurie's the issue and he has been for some time. And Jeff McClain wrote a piece in March about this very issue. And uh, Jeff McClain was on the station talking about his story um, and first years McClain on the evolution and of Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman's relationship over the years. I think Jeffrey's trust in Howie, the the relationship they forged after 21 years of being together, being through the highs of winning a Super Bowl and surviving the lows of the end of the Andy Reid era, the end of the Chip Kelly era, as we all know, was kind of a... Uh, disastrous almost and the relationship between uh howie and chip being a certain uh big certainly a big reason why that uh ended and and having gone through obviously this last year which was another low point for the franchise um and but there's more to it than just that i mean howie's had success and certainly if you look at his record it's pretty good um but the last three years have not been good in terms of his off-season moves so you have to question what's going on with this dynamic between jeff and and Howie and what I discovered uh, clearly, and I, you know, we've touched on this before. This is you know, something that I've reported in various 
as it respects before in terms of like Jeffrey's involvement in the J.J. Arcega Whiteside pick and Jeff's involvement in the Jalen Hurts pick. A lot of it has to do with Jeff and his you know, increasing involvement in football decisions and having somebody who will uh, in some ways allow him to be that. And so there's a little bit of a uh, self-enabling, I think, going on with Howie and Jeff, and I think that's a big reason why Howie is still with the team. But obviously I want to focus on – I mean, I also want to point out, too, that you know this is a guy who won a Super Bowl just three, year, three years ago and had a successful two-year run in building that team. And it shows that Jeffrey Lurie is not just one of the problems. Like, he's the problem. There's one guy making decisions on who's going to be the head coach. That's Jeffrey Lurie. And when you talk about 2017, I mentioned it earlier, a lot of people's egos were inflated after that year. Howie, uh, Doug, Carson, everybody. But none more than Jeffrey Lurie. And the level to which he is involved right now is toxic to a franchise. You see every franchise that has an owner that's this involved, it never ends well. Here was more from Jeff McClain on whether, you know, Howie is okay with the level of involvement Lurie currently has. A lot of the people I spoke to were sticking up for Howie. His allies were like, you got to look at the situation that's, that's been created internally here and he's had to you know be basically the front man for some of jeff's decisions or and and it's just not fair to him and i wondered in myself and i just maybe get the sense that you know maybe how he's fed up with it you know at some point you know how many times can you take the bullets for your boss's decisions and yeah you know look he's been here for 21 years he's never worked for another franchise that's very extremely rare in the NFL for a GM. Usually they have to kind of bounce around to get to the place where they are. So I don't know if he's kind of backed himself in the corner in terms of if he were to leave, would he be able to get another opportunity as a GM elsewhere? Um, but you have to wonder how much does it play on him that, you know, look, I guess it, I'm sure there's certainly a great relationship between the two. Certainly Jeffrey has allowed Howie to become who he is, and that's something he's probably grateful for. But at, one, at some point you just got to kind of say, to yourself, I mean, how much more can I can I take of this? And we already heard the report from ESPN that Jeffrey is apparently directing, you know, behind the scenes what to do with Jalen Hurts and, and whether they should bring in some competition for this guy. Is that something as a GM you want your owner to do? And as I've been on record saying many times, I think Howie Rosen's a better general manager than he gets credit for. I think you look at this past offseason, I mean, you look now at the draft pick situation the Eagles could be in, that Dolphins trade looks better every single day. I mean, that would be the number two overall pick in the draft right now. They just lost to the Jaguars. That team is, is horrendous. But if if Jeffrey Lurie is not going to take a back seat while Howie Roseman's in there, then you do need to move on. And and I, I don't think that's the right way to go. I think the best course of action would be Jeffrey Lurie. Go back to what you, what you used to do during the Andy Reid era. And be the figurehead owner and let the people beneath you make the decisions. Because when Howie Rosen's running the show and legitimately making the decisions, this organization comes out better than it was prior. But Jeffrey Lurie continues to get his hands mixed up in football operations. He continues to make decisions against the advice of the people beneath him that he hires to give him advice. And as long as that continues, things are just going to get worse and you're going to end up with more, you know, Nick Sirianni's and more ill-advised hires and bad situations like you have now at head coach. Uh, let's go to Tom in Plymouth meeting. What's up, Tom? Uh, hey, yeah. Um, like I said, Jeffrey Lurie, uh, he's been messed up since Andy Reid, you know, left. Because remember the whole – it started with um, Andy Reid left. He hired uh, – what was his name? Chip. Uh, 
Chip. He hired. Uh, no, 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 not Chip. Oh. Who was the uh, the defensive coordinator from Seattle? Remember, he went to the house. Gus Barrett. Brad. Oh, Gus, Gus Bradley. Bradley they, yeah, they, they were. Yeah, they were going to hire Gus Bradley. They was going to hire Gus Bradley. Then Chip came. Then Chip. You know, he reacts. He doesn't have any strategy or, or plan since Andy Reid. He reacts off of everything. So he reacted off of Chip Kelly. He reacted off of Chip Kelly. The hobby rules. We putting hobby in the back. Then hobby coming back to the thing. Then he reacts off of wide receivers. Then he needs more speed. Lori doesn't have a plan. You know, he's a man without a mission, really. And you know, that's really probably is his biggest mistake. You know, of not having anybody in there to really guide him, or if if he even listens, really, right? That he, and it's you know, a good he's and all over the place. Yeah, no, and it's a good point, Tom. And and even when you look at. The Sirianni hire, that was reactionary because I think right. a lot of that was, okay, well, I think Frank Reich was the architect behind the offense, so let's get the closest guy to Frank Reich. Well, I think that was more so over, over Wentz. I think they had the problem with Wentz because, remember, there was reports last year saying that, you know, Lori wanted Hurts and over Wentz. So then that kind of put a rift between Wentz. And whatever happened between Wentz, Doug, and that happened between the quarterback, you know, uh-huh. last year. And then, you know – they fired. They get. They said they're gonna keep Doug. They get rid of Doug. Then they hire Nick. And then Carson says he still wants out. And I think that they thought that Carson probably would have stuck around by getting rid of Doug. You know. So like, I don't like. Like I said, Jeffrey Lurie mingles and everything. So it's not like you know he reacts off of everything. It's it's not like he has a strategy or plan. He reacts. You know. Right. And, and you we'll, know the one time he should have reacted was when we had To. He should have intervened when we had To. And kept T.O. over here, you know, with McNabb, but he never did anything because he trusted Andy so much. Yeah. So, since you know, since then, Andy left. He has not had any real strategy. He just reacts off of everything. No, you're right, Tom, and that's a great point. And it, as far as Sirianni goes, like, do you think he's going to improve? Like, do you think that we no. have we have any hope? No? No, no. We're, we're, we're done. Along yeah. with Jeffrey Lurie's decisions, we're done. I, I hear you, Tom. I appreciate it, man. Thanks. And I think that's the way a lot of people feel. And you feel that way about your head coach. You're in a bad spot as an organization. Uh, let's get Stephen Egg Harbor in here. What's up, Steve? Hey, how's it going? What's up, man? I'll tell you what, man. Uh, like I've always been thinking, you know, like uh, Andy Reid, the tree of Andy Reid. And I'm looking at McDermott at Buffalo. This guy is, might have the best team in the AFC this year, the way they're going. Um, you know, Harbaugh. Baltimore wins a Super Bowl. Doug wins a Super Bowl. I mean, this guy is this guy's litter has has uh, have made the NFL either the Super Bowl or close to it. I mean, I would have hired any Eric Bieniemy from the get go. I mean, from Kansas City. Steve, um, I'll let you. I'll let you keep going, Steve. But I just want to point out, it's funny when you compare Andy's coaching tree to Belichick's, and it's like the total opposite. None of these Belichick guys succeed anywhere. Well, if you really want to get down to it, Andy Reid comes the tree of Holmgren, who comes from the tree of Bill Walsh. Right. I mean, look at that line all the way back into the 80, all the way to now. We're talking 40-some-odd years later. And that's all that's doing is get, they're all going to Super Bowls or getting close to it. You saw Buffalo last year. Hey, you know, usually to get to the Super Bowl, you got to learn a little. We learned a little, and we finally got there under Andy Reid. But let's face the facts. The tree of Andy Reid just keeps on getting better and better, and we should have went with the enemy instead of going with this clown. But I'm sorry. He's an amateur. You see it the way – I mean, I'm sorry. I, when I heard a dog mentality crap and I heard, 
you know, his, his, uh, his interview with Rock, Paper, Scissors, and everybody was jumping on, oh, this guy's so much fun. I'll just give him a chance. You know what? I'm sorry. I heard that, and I was saying to myself, I wouldn't want this guy coaching my 85-pound grandchildren's football league. It's funny you mention that because I was thinking on the, the other night, Thursday night, sitting at home watching the game, and I'm thinking, okay, they're down 28-7 to the Bucks and Brady, and they're getting annihilated. And I'm just imagining these coaches on the sideline, walking up and down the sideline, dog mentality, dog mentality. And I'm thinking, a guy like Fletcher Cox has got to be rolling his eyes at these clowns right now. I think, no, not just Rhett Fletcher Cox. How about the whole team? I mean, if I'm rolling my eyes at him and I'm just a fan, I'm just, and I'm just a guy who coached, you know, little kids. I mean, but I would never talk to my kids like that. I mean, when I coach, I'm going to give you an example about how I coach. The first question I ask my kids is, what was the last name of the person who came up with the slogan? It's not whether you win or lose, it's how you play the game. And if you can answer that, I'll give you $100. I tell this to 10-year-olds. Of course they couldn't answer the question because his name was Loser. That's why. Okay? Yeah. End of story. That's the mentality of a loser. You keep score to win games and stuff like that. This guy comes from, the. Uh, if you ask me, a loser's mentality. I don't care who his parents are. Yeah, no, I, I hear you, Steve. I, I appreciate it, man. Thanks for the call. And I mean, harsh words, but but like uh, Sirianni sounds like he sounds ridiculous. Like, and I'm very interested to hear him come on with the morning show at eight thirty today. Hear what he has to say. Um, but but it's like, dude, the dog mentality, the five core principles. Like, this is stuff that veteran players. Uh, got to be snickering behind like your back on this. Like you go through training camp. Fine. You, you see how it goes, but when you get into the season, it's not working. Like uh, Dan, could you see a scenario where this locker room totally checks out? Like that's one thing about Doug. You never had to worry about. No, he had the locker room. Like, yeah. You didn't, you didn't worry about that. They respected him. You definitely have to worry about it. I mean, I will say throughout the offseason, it did seem like the way that players who had been here spoke about him, that they were buying in. Now, when you have five core principles and dog mentality and you try and be this rah-rah high school coach. Dog who, mentality. Oh, my God. Who gets all fired up and you don't win, then you start to trend in the direction of, like, does this guy really know what he's talking about? Is this guy just all... Like, is he, is he all flare, no fire kind of thing? Like, does he really have... I like that saying. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying, though? Like, is, yeah. he, is he just a fraud? And if the veteran players start to check out, then this season is even more cooked than we than it already is. Yeah. Because if you don't have the respect of your locker room, like, that's something that you can't... That's very, very difficult to get back. And you very rarely see a locker room lost that is reclaimed. And so if he loses the locker room, if the veterans want him out, then that is... All the more reason why he could be out at the end of the year. If sure. Some of the veteran players go to Howie, go to Lori, go to any of the decision makers above Sirianni in this organization is like, look, we've had it with this guy. We're, we're, it's just not. He ain't it. And I don't know. Who knows? I don't know the feeling of that locker room. I'm not down there. But, but just the way it's going, I could see that sort of scenario playing out. Uh, 215-592-9494 if you want to get in. Keep talking, Eagles. When we get back, though, we'll be joined by Bill Kornfeld of 1210 WPHT. We'll talk some flyers with Bill coming up next. Uh, they get a to- uh, well, an overtime loss, I should say, in their opener the other night. Seattle Kraken coming to town tonight. So we'll talk to Bill coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly. A lot of Eagles, Nick Sirianni, 
discussion tonight. Coach will be on at 8.30 with Angelo and the morning team today, so make sure you're tuned in for that. But now, take a little break to talk a little Flyers hockey as we're joined by Bill Kornfeld, 1210 WPHD, in the Orange and Back Check podcast. It's been a while since I, I've seen you in person, Bill. How you doing, man? Good, good, TK. I mean, yeah, that's, it's funny. We see each other around the studios uh, walking out when you're leaving or, and I'm getting in, but this is a rare opportunity. I'm in studio with you. How's right. it going? Good. We haven't been on the air together. Well, I, you called in before, yep. but we haven't been in the same studio together since I think me, you, Breitmeyer, and Andrew Porter were doing our Game of Thrones podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, that was fun. That was a good time we until to, we had to watch the finale and then Yeah, we might have to <laughs> we might have to revive that. We'll have to see how this new show is, the prequel series. Yeah. And if it's good and if it's something we're all into, maybe we'll have to revive yeah, it. Yeah, House of Dragon on HBO. I I'm so I have such a still a sour taste from the end of Game of Thrones. I still haven't been able to rewatch the finale. Yeah. I, I don't I, know I have high expectations, or I have such low expectations for House of Dragon, the sequ- this prequel series that's coming out. I, I don't know if I'm going to actually think it's a good show. Yeah. Well, I'm definitely going to give it a shot. I mean, yeah, of course. To. How you can you not? To. You have to. But I'm excited for that. But let's talk some some flyers here, Bill. And, yes. Um, they get started the other night. An entertaining game, 5-4, you know, a good first period, struggle in the second, then a good comeback late to get the one point. Yep. What were your takeaways from the opener Friday? Honestly, exactly that. I thought it was good. Uh, they played good, uh, a solid 30 minutes of hockey. It just happened to only be in the first 20 minutes in the first period and then the final 10 minutes of the third, of the third period, and that, w- and that was it. Because it felt like they had the, 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 the flow and the, in the, in the, uh, the, the, uh, just the energy of the opening night, and then all of a sudden it just t- tapered off, and that was it. They realized, like, the second period. Vancouver's not a good team. They played Vancouver on the – they're not a good team. They're an average team. The Flyers are an average team at this point right now. But it should have been a, win- a, a winnable game, and uh, unfortunately they got the overtime loss. Yeah, and they, they looked great in the first period. And then the second period, things kind of get away from them and looked a little bit like last year in some ways. And and when yeah. you look at this season, the story really is Carter Hart. and. Whether he can be the future or not, we've heard about him for years. And last year was, let's face it, it was disastrous year yeah. for him. Um, what can be expected this season? Do you think he's going to bounce back? I, I have high expectations for Carter Hart because, like you said, it, last year was such a such a, de- a pit in his in, – it's such a valley in his career. Like, that wasn't just – obviously, he's a young guy. He's only been in the league for a couple of years in the NHL. That was his worst year playing ever from juniors all the way to the NHL like nothing will get lower than that and you could tell what the Flyers did this offseason was say listen we know the problems you had weren't all on you it was the players in front it was the blue line in front of him the four check in front of him and they they still rewarded him with a three-year contract like he's now signed locked up for the next three years and at the same time they bolstered the blue line to an extent that like there's no more excuses at this point for Carter Hart. Like, if Carter Hart falls on his face again this season, Chuck Fletcher, the GM, is going to have a, a, has to figure something else out because the backup goalie, Martin Jones, is not going to be a starter. My co-host, Scott, on Orange or Backtrack, thinks he is. But I think well, by the end of – thankfully, we're getting a full 82-game season. I think you're going to realize that if Carter Hart's not the guy, 
you got to find someone else because there's there's some a couple players in the in the pipeline, but they're not ready yet. So it, it's a, it could be a serious problem. Bill Kornfeld of the uh, Orange and Backcheck podcast uh, joining us now. Talk a little Flyers. And when you look at Hart's problems, Bill, do you think they are more mental? Like, do you think that's what happened last year is that <sighs> things kind of started down a bad path and and it got in his head more than anything else? I, I, I can't figure that out because what – we always heard about Carter Hart was he was such a mentally strong kid. Uh, he had a sports psychologist who, ironically, he did part ways with right before that the season last year. I think it also boiled down to mostly because the team couldn't practice last year because there were such weird COVID restrictions under the NHL last year. You could, you literally could not practice. Mm-hmm. There was no game uh, on ice practice or morning skate practice or anything like that prior to games, and it. I think that really screwed with him. Um, it's it's a weird excuse to have not practicing because you're still getting a ton of ice time in game feel, but I, I think that was one of the key factors because he's a because these guys just like NFL players are creatures of habit. They want to get to the ice around three three hours beforehand, two hours beforehand. I think if I remember correctly, it was an hour or less you had to get at the ice time because of COVID. And I think that really screwed up the, these players, especially guys like Carter Hart, who, let's be honest, like goalies are the most superstitious people on the planet, not just the NHL. They're very superstitious. They very uh, they very, have a big system and want to stick with that rhythm. When it's screwed up with something like this, with COVID, uh, I I don't I, I think that really uh, could have messed with them. Yeah, it's interesting, and it's, it's something we've been talking about tonight with the Eagles and Doug, and and what happened in twenty twenty that. You know, that could have seriously affected the outcome of last season. And, and yeah. it's a factor that, that you need to take into account. And when you look at this season, Bill, obviously I think that's where the casual fans' um, attention will go is Carter Hart, the kind of season he has. What are some other storylines that you're looking at this year with this team and, and, and you know, players you're interested in seeing how they develop? I mean, st- right out of the gate, it's got to be Joel Farabee. Uh, he signed a monster six-year deal for this team under Chuck Fletcher and also in this offseason, and it's just one of those guys who he led the team in scoring last year. Um, I, I think he just has that next step to go, and I think he was rewarded with that six-year contract anticipating that next step. I don't know what that looks like, whether that's 30 goals, whether that's 70 assists. I think Joel Farabee's ceiling is very, very high. I think he could potentially lead this team uh, significantly in goals. Um but the other guy I'm looking at is Cam Atkinson, coming at it, coming who was acquired this offseason, a sharpshooter. He will he just shoots the puck. He got a goal uh, in the season opener, and it's just one of those guys that you anticipate. He's a offensive minded guy, and you needed that. Uh, I think the problem has always been that you haven't found that shoot first guy. Cam Atkinson and Joel Farabee could be those two guys. And we were talking earlier before the show, and. You know, we were talking about Claude Giroux and the potential of this being his final year in Philadelphia. How would you view his career here? I mean, obviously a very good player, but aside from way back in that 2010 Cup final run, yeah, not a ton of team success in his tenure. No, I, I think I th- it's Claude Giroux is a very tough. He's going to be up there with kind of like a Donovan McNabb. I think like he he had a ton of success and he just never got the job done. At the same time, if you look at the teams he's had since that 2010 run, 
he hasn't had much success because of the team that's been built around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Laviolette years, obviously the Dave Haxtell years, who's ironically coming back tonight uh, under Seattle's banner. Like it's just, I think by the end of this, if they don't get a cup win, which I don't anticipate them getting this season, and mm-hmm. like I like you just said, I, he's in a contract year. At the end of the season, we might be t- talking about a new captain and probably Sean Couturier. I think uh, Claude Giroux's years are going to be looked at as the biggest waste of a hockey talent we had on this team. With, like, up there with Lindros. Like, if Lindros never won a cup here, and he never obviously did, it's the biggest waste of those kind of talents that that really hurt Flyers fans, like, at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's interesting. And you just mentioned Hackstall, and he's back tonight as the head coach of the Seattle Kraken. Uh you know, when you look at Haxley, this guy took a lot of criticism. How bad, you know, was he as Flyers coach? Do you think he did a bad job? And and what do you think about the job Elaine Vigneault has done? I mean, obviously, pretty good the first year with all the, the um, you know, going into the bubble and the COVID complications, but that team did get to the second round. Yep. Um, but last year went went poorly. How do you think both those guys have done as Flyers coach? It's ironic because they kind of flipped the, they flipped the script on each other. When AV came in, the the thought was, oh, this means the end of all our young guys. They're going to trade them off for high-end prospect or a high-end talent, veteran talent. And then with Dave Haxtell, it was, we're going to really develop our youth. And it kind of flipped because Dave had a really interesting method, really controversial method of getting these players developed by sitting them in the press box. Eleven Yo is playing these players. Mm-hmm. Like he's getting the Joel it's why Joel Farabee succeeded. He got his ice time. Morgan Frost, um, Cam York eventually late last year. Like Elaine Vigneault, I think, is a very good coach, but also similar to Carter Hart, who has a lot of pressure on him. This is it for A V too. Like if A V doesn't put up a successful t- team this year, he could be seeing the seeing the door from Chuck Fletcher. So I, I think it's Interesting how they've those two in Elaine Vigneault and, and Dave Haxtell have kind of flipped their philosophies here in Philadelphia. So I, I, I don't know how good Dave is going to be in an expansion team like Seattle, but AV is a very, very good coach who's giving a lot of room to a young team like the Flyers. And one more for you here, Bill. As you look at this team and how they project, um, where do you see it ending? Are they, are they a playoff team? And, and what do you think the ceiling is for this Flyers team, I think I think the ceiling is an Eastern Conference Finals. Wow! But I, because I think if if these acquisitions in Ristolainen and Ryan Ellis and Cam Atkinson and et cetera really pan out, this is a very very good team. Um, I just don't think people are going to buy into this team just yet until probably the Christmas season, New Year's that kind of deal. Uh, but at the end of it, I, I just I just see realistically maybe a wild card and a second round exit like okay. I think that's I think that's the more realistic thing but I think if they can get if they can get this thing going and you'll know by Christmas they could make the Eastern Conference Finals and make some noise well this you know this would be a playoff year they go yeah from playoffs not playoffs yeah exactly it seems to go that way yeah um you know every single year but it'll be interesting to see but uh Bill Kornfeld, um, Orange and Back Check podcast, also 1210 WPHD. Uh, Bill, 
Uh, thanks for hopping on for a few minutes, man. And uh, anything you want to uh, you want to promote real quick? Uh, just the podcast, all Orange right. Backshake. You can find us anywhere, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and all that good stuff. We're on TikTok even. I mean, oh, nice. We're everywhere. I don't know how to do TikTok. I'm it's one of those com- old guys. It, yeah, I, I get it, man. I, I was so reluctant to join TikTok, and I, I got into it, and I go, hey, you know, let me post the clips of the pod on here. Right, so well, why not? Well, maybe, and, and maybe, maybe. Uh, the the uh, what's the what's what's it called? House of Dragons. Maybe the House of Dragons I'm, podcast. Listen, we'll see if we revive it. There's some really good shows out there on HBO. They've put out some good content, despite the the drastic failure that was the final season of Game of Thrones. Can't even talk about it. <laughs> so I, I think I have, like I said, low expectations, but I'm gonna think it's a good show because of that. All right, well, House of Dragons. I think it's 2022, so we got a little bit of time. Yeah, it'll co- hopefully coming up soon. Probably spring, I guess. I'd yeah. imagine, but. Uh, Bill, thanks for hopping on, man. Uh, anytime, man. Well, that's Bill Kornfeld. We'll check in with Bill throughout the Flyers season and uh, get some Flyers reports from him. Next up, I did want to uh, give a little farewell to an Eagle who was uh, dealt away this week, who we haven't talked about yet. Uh, one of the great Eagles of all time um, who was traded away last Friday. We'll talk about that when we return. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WYP. Back goes Foles, fires, slant, touchdown, Zach Ertz. He caught it, he bobbled it, and he never let it drop, and he finished with the football. Sports Radio 94 WIP, I'm Tom Kelly. That was Merrill Reese on the call, Super Bowl 52. I don't need to describe to you the moment that happened. Um, but Zach Ertz game winning touchdown and the biggest touchdown in Eagles history is that that's not even debatable, right, Dan? I mean, it's, it can't even be up for, up for question. That's the biggest touchdown in Eagles history. Yeah. The only game winning, the only Super Bowl winning touchdown in the franchise's history. I think that's a pretty safe statement in my opinion. Yeah. And, and Zach Ertz traded last week and every, and when Zach Ertz, Zach Ertz got traded, um, maybe I'm, I'm sappy, uh, sappier than I let on but like I went back and I watched that final um that final touchdown and every time I watch that it drives me insane that Michaels and Collinsworth actually entertain the idea that might not be a catch like Chris Collinsworth is saying well I don't know how they how they don't overturn this it's like what the hell are you talking about like what are you looking at that you don't think that's a catch. Yeah, they really tried to feed into the whole theater of it. They they compared it to the Jesse James catch from earlier in that season. It was nothing season. like that. It was nothing like that. He caught the ball, made a very clear football move, whatever you want to call it. He clearly breaks the plane, and then the ball moves around in the end zone. I never understood why it took so long to review that. I guess the refs were doing their due diligence. They got it correct. I can't be bothered with the fact that those two guys thought it wasn't a catch. I always go back to the fact that I thought if anything wasn't like they were so convinced that wasn't a catch. If anyone wasn't a catch in that game, it was the Clement touchdown, not Ertz. Right. Oh yeah, that one was closer. That I, one was much closer. Uh, Ertz was uh, so clear cut. I, I had friends over my house watching that game, and uh, I'm like, if they overturn this, we were I'm right. going to have a meltdown. Like yeah. I'm just letting you guys know, I am going to have an absolute meltdown if they overturn this. Well, game. well, they got it right. They, uh, yeah, they did. It took too long, but they got it right. Yeah, they got it right. Zach Ertz makes the catch, scores the touchdown, and now Zach Ertz no longer a Philadelphia Eagle. And I think we all kind of realized this was the right move for the organization, and we thought it was going to happen a lot sooner than this. 
But I'm glad things worked out the way that they did. And I'm glad Zach Ertz got to come back, um, play a little bit this year, and uh, get a, a true send-off the way he, you know, deserved to get it. And I guess it just, you know, obviously you didn't want Dallas Goddard to be out with COVID protocols, but the one benefit was it did give Zach Ertz an opportunity to really shine in his farewell game with the Eagles. And, you know, I think credit does need to be given to the Eagles in this regard. Like, we have bashed the Eagles quite a bit tonight, and I'm sure we will if things don't get better with Nick Sirianni, who, by the way, will be on with the morning show today at 8.30, so make sure you're tuned in for that. Um, But the Eagles handled this Zach Ertz situation very well in what I think was a very respectful manner. And here was Howie Roseman uh, on Friday talking about the way they worked with Ertz throughout this process. Yeah, um, you know, uh, really a lot of communication with Zach and um, gave Zach a a really heads up uh, about kind of this process uh, on Tuesday. Spent a lot of time with Zach um, on Tuesday night and talking to him and talking to him about uh, his future and um, a lot of memories about the past too. And um, it, it was a hard night uh, on Tuesday night having those conversations, but they were honest. Um, they were good. You know, Zach, Zach's an Eagle for life. Zach, Zach's family, um, that will never change, you know, and um, just very appreciative of him and his contributions. And he, he, has meant a ton to this organization. I think, without a doubt, the best tight end in the history of the organization. And I think the Eagles uh, do deserve credit for the way they really took Zachert's feelings into account and communicated with him the whole process. As we know, this has not been smooth sailing the entire way here with the Eagles and their relationship with Zachert's. And this happens. I mean, guy wants an extension. Uh, he's uh, an older player. The team has a younger guy that they like, and they like Dallas Goddard long-term, which I I think they should, Um, and they're going to go in a different direction, and that can always be difficult to straddle that line, but I think the Eagles did a decent job with it. And, you know, here's more from Howie on whether going into that game Thursday night, you know, Zach Ertz knew he was getting traded. Yeah, I think just based on the relationship with Zach, um, thought it was important that Zach, was able to really go in last night with his eyes open and um, really enjoy each moment coming out there. You know, he's a captain last night for that reason. So he knew, um, although we didn't call back Arizona until this morning, he knew this was going to happen. And um, I think that's what made it special. You know, Dallas didn't play last night, so he had an opportunity to play a little bit more than he's been playing. Um, catching the touchdown pass, that that was special to do that. And, Obviously, you saw his emotion coming off the field. and um, But I, I think just talking through it with Zach and understanding here you are and you get to experience this and embrace everything that comes with it, um, not many people get an opportunity to do that. And so um, I, I think we, we agreed that was special for him. You know, hard, obviously, keeping it from the rest of the team. And it's probably a unique situation where you're kind of going to a game and you know, I, I think someone asked me, you know, what happens if something happens to him during the game? And I said, you know, that's the chance we'll, we'll, we're willing to take because it was special for him last night. It was special for him to come out on a national te- televised game, 
you know, um, in front of our fans as a captain, be introduced, and you know, I get kind of chills just thinking about it. And it was pretty cool to get that, to, for Zach Ertz to know, and Jay Glazer reported that on Sunday, that, yeah, Zach Ertz knew he was getting traded. He could have sat out. The Eagles gave him that option to sit out and not play, and he elected to play, and you don't see that too often. Now, this did happen recently, though, uh, against the Philadelphia team, if you remember Max Scherzer, on July 29th, in a doubleheader, it wasn't, I guess, definite at the time, but I think we kind of knew Scherzer was, was trade deadline dealt. day, right. and it seemed very unlikely the Nationals would hold on to him. Pitchers, I know, can be a little delicate. That almost seems like less of a risk to me. Like, the first thing I thought of was, all right, thank goodness this all kind of worked out, but what if Zach Ertz sustains a season-ending injury on Thursday, and now you can't deal him? Right. Like, the alternative of this was Really, really bad. And, and and they took a huge risk. Well, and hey, well, I think Ben Simmons should play. That's the risk the Sixers are playing but with. But even more so with a football player. Right. Like no. the NFL is a is a whole different injury risk as far as I'm concerned. Definitely. And I can't believe I'm actually very stunned. Like to Ertz, I get it. Like it makes sense from Ertz's perspective you'd want to play. From the Eagles' perspective, I'm actually stunned they let him play Thursday. Yeah, but I mean, it, but but that shows you how much he means to the organization. Like, because well, what are you getting? I mean, you're getting, I get a, it, but you're getting a fifth-round pick and a player. It's like, it's not nothing, but it's not, like, I, I. it's worth it to give Zach Ertz that opportunity. Like, if the Eagles are getting the second-round pick, Zach Ertz ain't playing that game. No. Like, let, let's But you're it. getting nothing, and he's on your IR for the year if he sustains a in, in season-ending injury there. Right. No, it's true. And, you know, Ertz, while he's here, is obviously a leader. Uh, here's more from Howie on the impact that Zach Ertz made on this team. And I wouldn't limit it to, to the tight end group, you know. Um, obviously, we got a young group of skill position guys and um, it really a lot of young players on offense. And I think they see how he works every day, you know, how he takes care of his body how important it is to him. And so that's that's a huge lesson, and I think that's worth its weight in gold for this team, you know, to have that. And um, I know Dallas and our tight ends are appreciative of it, but I also think our receivers, our backs, you know, the players on our team, and, you know, I spent some time this morning calling some players on our team to give them a heads up and uh, talk about it. And, and, you know, this is a special guy, a special guy, and uh, proud to have had him here for as long as we did. And, you know, I know the, the future is going to continue to be bright for him and his family. And, you know, as I mentioned, this was not always a smooth process. Like, there was the scene, I think it was last year at camp, where Ertz was getting into it with Howie um, and reports behind the scenes that he wasn't happy. And obviously, you know, it was a surprise pretty much to everybody when Zach Ertz wasn't traded, wasn't cut, and returned for this season and you're glad that at least in the end it ends up being not a contentious situation not something where Ertz is at odds with the Eagles here's Howie Roseman on his and the organization's relationship with Zach Ertz yeah Dave this is in days of our lives my man you know like that Zach's Zach's somebody that we have a very very close relationship with and that doesn't mean just like everybody in their personal lives there aren't ups and downs and there are moments when you don't see eye to eye, but this this is a guy who who is family to us. This is a guy that, like, you know, I don't know how many other players since I've been here that, you know, you talk to two days before a game and you talk about the opportunity and, and you kind of talk through it with them. And, um, I don't you know, Zach, Zach will be a friend for life. We'll be celebrating for life. You know, this, this isn't like an obituary here. You know, I, I said when we left, you know, we're not saying goodbye. 
Um, so there, there's there's no hard feelings uh, at all. It's it's family, you know, with us and Zach. You know, I personally I drafted Zach Ertz. Um, I signed him a couple times, and you know, um, I still have a picture of of us together with our family after we won the Super Bowl and um, his game ball when he set the the single season tight end record. Like th- this, there's no issues, none. Oh no, a little little shot out of Chip there. You know, I drafted Zach Ertz. I, I just I had my on name on there. it. That was not Chip Kelly. Let's yeah. make this perfectly clear. Yeah, that was all me. Yeah, I I, I did kind of note that there. But um, one of the cool things about Zach Ertz, and this is always what you know, people talk about. It's so hard to play in Philadelphia. I don't necessarily think that's true if you understand the city. And Zach Ertz is somebody who understood Philadelphia and cared about the fans and appreciated the fans. And that's something that is so cool and you rarely get from a, a player who truly understands what it's like here. Here was Zach Ertz on Friday uh, talking about how Philly, you know, feels like his home now. Well, that's a great question. Um, I mean, obviously coming from California, the first year was tough. We played against Detroit in the snowstorm. And I was like, man, I don't know if I can do this. Uh, California, you don't even see snow where I lived. And you had to seek out the snow if you wanted to see it. And I come out after pregame warm-ups, and there's a foot of snow on the ground. I can't even run because I'm slipping all over the place. LaShawn has amazing grip. He can do whatever he wants on the field that day, and I'm freaking just by the heater. Um, so that, that year was rough. Uh, I don't think I, would, I called it home just yet. But I think, um, you know, probably um after the third year when I knew I was going to be here for a while and we really knew that this was going to be a place that we wanted to continue to pour into and just the love that I felt each and every Sunday playing here winning a Super Bowl here doing everything we did off the field here um it's just the people I mean that's the toughest part is leaving the people leaving the fans um, you know, I played with Jason Kelsey for nine years. Um, so that's, that's the toughest part. And that is a cool part about it because a lot of guys, you know, they say they, they love the fans and it's all, you know, not all of it, but a lot of it's BS. But Zach Ertz, you can tell that's real. And he does care about the people here. He cares about the city and the community. Uh, here's more from Ertz on, you know, how he reflects on his legacy in Philadelphia. Um, I don't. That's for you guys to decide, I guess. Um, I loved this place. Obviously, I don't regret the way me playing here the past six weeks. And it's been a lot of fun. And I said that in training camp. I was having a blast in training camp. I had a blast coming to work every day. Um, Obviously, we didn't win enough games in the first six weeks. Obviously, I wish I would have played a little more at times or got the ball a little more at times. But to me, all I care about is winning football games. Um, we just didn't do it enough in the first six weeks, and I think that's all that matters in this city is winning football games. Um, the standards are so high for a reason. The fans care so much, um, and it's, it's tough for some people, but I loved it, and that was the bottom line. I loved playing here. I didn't care if I got booed. I didn't care if I got said bad things on a Monday after a terrible game on Sunday because I knew I was going to be in here Monday early catching jugs machines if I had a couple drops or working on blocking if I missed a block. Um, That's all I cared about was trying to get better and be the best player I could. And the legacy stuff, that's for you guys. Um, I just know I did my best each and every day to be the best player I could and 
I could walk out of the door today, obviously emotional, but content um, at everything that we've done here. And, you know, his legacy will go down as he made the biggest offensive play in the history of the franchise, and not just the touchdown, the fourth down. Like, if Dakers doesn't – if they don't convert that fourth and one on that drive, that touchdown doesn't happen, the Eagles don't win that game. And it's Probably the biggest play of the game. Yeah, it was huge. And in Dakers' whole game, he had a huge game. Um, and his legacy is going to be as a Super Bowl hero. I mean, uh, I feel comfortable saying that. That's his legacy in Philadelphia is – he is a Super Bowl hero, just like Brandon Graham's a Super Bowl hero, just like Nick Foles is a Super Bowl hero. Um, but, you know, you ask about why did this happen now, and I, I I think it made sense for the Eagles, you know, the value wasn't there in the offseason. Come back, play six weeks, and I think it was with the understanding that maybe we're better than expected, and if we're 4-2, and 5-1 and one against this level of competition, that maybe we end up keeping you, maybe Goddard goes down and, and you develop into a role – but I think there was a handshake agreement that if things weren't going great, the Eagles would make this move. Here was Zach Ertz on, on why this trade ended up happening now. I, I tried to articulate in the offseason how I felt about everything. And I'm not the one pulling the trades. And I'm employee number 86. I don't know. Hopefully it takes a little while for them to get another one in there. But um, I just do the best I can. And I don't know what happened. I don't regret anything about this offseason. I didn't say anything. I just tried to get healthy and be the best that I could. And I think playing last night, I think if you go back and watch everything, watch the game, not just the catches, but I think I showed exactly who I am as a player again last night. And so I'm excited. I don't regret anything that happened. I don't regret that it didn't happen before the season because this is a much better way to go out than – January 3rd of last year and at the end of the day yeah we're 11 catches away from the record but if you told me coming into the league that I would be second all-time possibly in this great organization's history it would have been an unbelievable achievement in my eyes and who knows maybe I'll come back and get 12 catches and Harold can go to number two but um, I'll let him have it for a few more years I guess maybe forever but it's been fun yeah, I didn't know that Zach Ertz was that close to catching Harold Carmichael. Tw- only 11 behind him for all He's 11 time. behind, 12 would break it. And the fact that he knew that on the spot and was like, yeah, maybe a few more years. Like He's already thinking about potentially yeah. coming back. Maybe. I mean, hey, crazier, could happen. Things, crazier things have happened for sure. Yeah. But it speaks to the connection he has with the city that like a little bit bothers him that he's not going to get it. Yeah, and and it is better that it happens now. Like You remember, we all remembered after that Washington game, that shot on the sideline of Kelsey, Ertz, Carson, and and it was Dom, the Eagle security guy, who were on the sideline kind of reflecting on everything. And I think we kind of we, – we thought all three of them might be gone. I mean, we I thought think, that was just the end. It was all – the band was going to split up entirely, yeah. Right. And it uh, – you know, you thought Wentz would probably be moved. Kelsey, you thought, might retire. Ertz, you thought, would be gone. Um, but Ertz ends up coming back, and it is better for it to happen this way. And – you know, Eagles just inducted Trey Thomas, uh, John running into the, the Eagles Hall of Fame on Thursday night. Howie Rosen already said Zach Ertz will be an Eagles Hall of Famer himself. Here's Ertz on that honor. It's an honor. I mean, this organization stands for so much, not only as players, but I feel like really in this community. It's a representation of the blue-collar work ethic that this city represents, and 
it will be an honor one day to have that opportunity. Um, obviously, just I think it just is a reflection of just the way I approached things. I don't think it's necessarily obviously the results were there on Sundays, but I don't think you show up 16 times a game and go into the Eagles Hall of Fame. Uh, you got to show up each and every day. I love to practice. I still love to practice. And I was talking to a player who's probably at the end, and I asked him the other day, I said, why, well, why do you want to go one more year? And he just said, you know, I just don't want to end how it, how it ended last last season or whatever. And he asked me why you keep playing. I said, because I love the process. I love the process of going to work on a Wednesday morning. I love the process of going to training camp practice on a Thursday when I don't feel like practicing. My body's telling me, don't you, you really can't practice today. But to mentally just preparing myself when things are going poorly, because I know they are going to go poorly at some point in the season, to tell my, my, my mind to tell my body, hey, it's time to go. Um, so I love the process. I love this game. And I think that's what a Philadelphia Eagle is all about is showing up all the time, doing your best, living with the results and then improving from there. And obviously my goal is to be in the hall of fame and hopefully this move to Arizona will continue to help me on that. Um, but it truly is an honor to do that. And I can't wait to come back and celebrate that one day with all you guys. And you know, uh, that that is why Ertz is so great because he does work when most guys wouldn't, and he you know he talks about that conversation with another player toward the end of his career. That had to be Kelsey, right? Like it seems pretty obvious that it was probably Jason. Kelsey. It was probably Jason Kelsey. I don't know who else would fit. Could that. be Brandon. You know, could be. It could have been Brandon. It could have Brandon, Brandon. might play another year now. Now that is is you know it could have been Brandon. Like could have been Kelsey. Who? Cox, like who else is even old? I enough? mean, Lane Johnson, you know. Well, I don't know if he's talking to Lane Johnson. Or I don't know what's going on with Lane Johnson. We don't know right where now. Lane Johnson is. Yeah. Uh, well, but, we don't know exactly when that conversation happened. To be right. Fair. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, probably Kelsey. But who knows? And one more from Zach Ertz here uh, on his emotions going into that final game uh, at the link and, and putting on an Eagles uniform for the last time. Uh, it was awesome. I think I spiked the ball so hard. I think it disappeared. Um, I just try. It, it was uh, surreal. I mean, I wanted to win the game, obviously, but catching a touchdown on the first drive was fun. It kind of just allowed me to play free the rest of the game and not really worry about anything else but trying to win the football game, um, which is what I always have done. Um, but it was awesome to do that. I mean, I think this team's got a lot of young talent. There's a lot of good young players to build around. Um, and I'm excited. I'm going to be the biggest fan from afar, obviously. Um, always going to be cheering for these guys. I think... I've developed so many good relationships over the years, um, even these young guys that are just coming into the league. I feel like I've truly gotten to know them and connected with them this year. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and so I'm going to be rooting from afar. Obviously, the foundation is going to keep doing what they're doing. You guys can go to earthfamilyfoundation.org to check out some more information on the House of Hope. Um, we're partnering with a lot of great people. It's going to be an amazing, amazing project for our city Obviously, there's a epidemic of gun gun violence right now in the city, and we want to provide a safe space for these kids, um, give them a place to go to do their homework, get some food, feed them, give them some guidance. We're partnering with Timoteo organization run by Pastor Rob Whitmire. Um, and so just because I'm not physically here doesn't mean I'm not going to be here continually. And I'm so excited to join the Cardinals. They're 5-0. Got a big game against the Browns on Sunday. 
Um, I'm looking forward to playing with Kyler and DeAndre Hopkins and A.J. Green. And Jordan Hicks has been recruiting me all week, so it's going to be good to see him. And I'll tell him you guys all say hello. Don't worry. Um, but I truly love it here. I pr- truly appreciate all you guys. Um, we've had some great times. We've had some low times. But I know I did my best. And I think at the end of the day, I can live with that walking out of here today. It's going to be tough. Um but it's been a blast. And so I'm appreciative to all you guys. Um, and thanks for everything. That was Zach Ertz. And that was, uh, you know, him on his final game. And, hey, I, he's going to help Arizona. And <laughs> I don't know how much help they need right now. Um, watching that game, that surprised me. Down Kingsbury, down a bunch of offensive coaches. They go and they smash the Cleveland Browns on on Sunday. Um Man, you add him to Hopkins and and AJ Green and Kirk and uh, that's that's a dynamic offense. Kyler Murray is playing as well as any quarterback in the league right now. And if the Eagles are not going to contend for a Super Bowl, which I don't believe they will, I'm fine with rooting for the Arizona Cardinals. This year. I'm fine with and I'm fine with rooting for Zach Ertz. I thought it was really interesting in the cut, not the last one, but the one before it, talking about him going to Arizona and continuing his push towards. Not the Eagles Hall of Fame, but the overall Hall of yeah, Fame. It's I, very rare in sports we hear about athletes talk about their Hall of Fame campaign, certainly while they're playing. Two, like I thought that was an incredibly honest and unique answer from Zach Ertz. Two, three more years playing it at the level he's he played at, he's going to get in. It, it's yeah. not, it would not be surprising if we see Zach Ertz in Canton. And, you know, it would be very nice, obviously, to see him go in as an Eagle. It, it seems like that would be the obvious choice, but maybe another you know, Super Bowl run or solid season with Arizona or wherever he finishes his career out, that could push him over the edge there, and clearly he's thinking about it. Yeah, and uh, wish him all the best without a doubt. A great eagle and, uh, you know, uh, a great guy as well. So so good luck to Zach Ertz moving forward here. 215-592-9494. Now, you know, we talked a lot about Nick Sirianni tonight and the Eagles' issues, and it's been – in some ways depressing. But next segment, I, I'm introducing a new segment um, that we will do next. And the segment is entitled, At Least We're Not the Giants. And that's what we'll do next. We'll, we'll talk about what happened with the Giants in New York today. We'll hear from Coach Judge. And we'll hear from yet another New York athlete complaining about being booed. Which this seems to be uh, something that they just can't escape in New York uh, we'll get to all that coming up next. I'm Tom Kelly, Sports Radio 94 WIP. Sports Radio 94 WIP. I'm Tom Kelly uh, with you for another couple segments here before we uh, talk to Al for the overlap show, see what his observations were over the weekend. Uh, we'll do our week six preview or recap in the next segment um, of everything in the NFL from Sunday. But I did want to look at one game in particular now because obviously it's been a rough couple days as Eagles fans. Another ugly loss Thursday night. They look terrible against the Bucks. Zach Ertz, a beloved player, is traded away. But at least we're not the Giants. And, and that's uh, kind of the theme of this segment here. Because if you were watching football on Sunday, one of the things that probably brought a smile to your face was watching in New York and seeing the Giants just get annihilated by the Los Angeles Rams. I didn't even think the Rams played particularly well, especially early on in this game. I I still think the Matt Stafford hype 
is overblown uh, a little bit. I, I don't think that he's going to take this team to a Super Bowl or anything like that. But they crushed the Giants 38-11. to And the Giants are one of the biggest disasters in all football right now. Uh, probably, the Lions are probably worse. The Lions, um, by the way, what's Dan Campbell basically just calling out Jared Goff after the game? Like, I, I don't think Jared Goff's great, but... Dude, you got a lot of problems. Like, you're just going to put this on the quarterback? I mean, it seems like a bit of a cop-out to me. Yeah, a little bit of deflecting blame. Not, yeah. Probably not great if the coach is calling out the QB. He's just... like, I don't want to point any fingers, but he basically said, I don't want to point any fingers, but the quarterback sucks. Is essentially I'm not, I'm not pointing said. any fingers, but Jared Goff's got a lot of issues, and right. maybe we need to get over those, which in and of itself was pointing a huge finger. Right. But anyway, the Giants are, are just a disaster right now. And I think it's becoming increasingly clear that the Eagles have a lot of issues. And then somehow Nick Sirianni is not the worst head coach in this division because Joe Judge is worse. And, you know, I argue with Mike Angelina about this. He still loves Joe Judge. He still thinks Joe Judge is going to be great. Um, Joe Judge is a disaster. And how anybody after what's going on now with Brian Flores, who looked like he was going to be a good coach, uh, turns out that's not going great down in Miami. I don't know how anybody can ever hire a Belichick assistant again. Like, I just don't know how he can do it. They've all failed. None of them have had any success. Maybe Mangini had a couple good years with the Jets. But aside from that, they've all been disasters. And Joe Judge, this guy cracks me up. Because it, he's it's like you genetically engineered a football guy in a laboratory. The things that he says, here was Joe Judge after the game on the Giants, and uh, they're going to get this thing turned around. Essentially, obviously, without being specific, the message to the, to the guys when you're in there, what's, your, what's, what's the theme, what do you have to say? Talking about right here, right now? Yeah, even? just after the game. Yeah, we'll come back, we're going to work. We've got things to improve on. So we come back on Wednesday, you know, there's time to get going to work. You know, get your bodies right, get your minds right. You know, we'll come around, we want to look our wounds around here. There's a lot of ball left to be played. Our goal every week is to go 1-0. Our goal is to get better every week as a team, as a team, as the season progresses. That goal doesn't change. And you talk about the big picture? Yeah, the big picture is the little picture. It's next week. The big picture is how we handle next week, how we practice, how we improve, how we prepare, and how we come out and we execute. So that's our focus has to be as immediate seven days from now. we got seven days to get ready for another good opponent coming in here. And that's where our focus has to be. It's just cliche after cliche. A lot of ball left, the, Tom. The come big, on. The big picture is the little picture. I'm not sure exactly what that so means. So there's one sized picture is yeah. what I'm hearing. Yeah. The big... It's all, all about next week. We're going to go 1 0 next week. Right. We usually go 0 1 every week. Right. Not a good team. And the best part is they're not going to have the Eagles or anyone else for that matter to blame when they don't make the playoffs this year. Right. Because they're just going to be even worse. Yeah, exactly. Uh, here's more from, from Joe Judge. There's a lot of ball left to play. There's a lot of ball left to play. We're in week six. So to turn around and start tapping out now, like I, I don't know what kind of mentality other people have. Like I don't quit things. These players aren't going to quit things. We're not going to do that. So anyone who's got that mentality of woe is me, what did you think was going to happen? Did you think you're going to go out there, roll the ball out, and just go ahead and walk through every opponent? It's National Football League. Teams are good. You've got to play better than in the 60 minutes every Sunday to have success. So in terms of the motivation aspect, our motivation is to improve and perform for the man next to us. I don't see any dip in how our guys prepare. They come to work. Tell you all the time, they're good at meetings, they're good at practice, they compete hard. You know, you guys have to leave after individuals on, you know, Wednesdays and Thursdays, okay? At some point, if, you know, we stayed out the entire time, 
Yeah, you'd see a group of guys go out there and they empty the tank and they work hard and they prepare well. You know, we've got to have better results on Sundays. That's a mix of factors. We'll go with that internally and make sure we're doing things, make necessary adjustments to have those. In terms of the motivation of the team, like I'm just telling you this right now, like, we don't have a room full of guys right now looking around and wondering. We don't have a room full of guys who are waiting for next year. We don't have a room full of guys who are waiting for someone to show up and save us. Okay, the only one who can make an impact, change anything we're doing, are all the men in that room. The coaches, the players, that's it. Okay, so we're in that submarine right now. All right, if something happens wrong in that submarine, it's got to be someone on that ship to step up and save that thing, right? You spring a leak, someone's got to plug that thing for you. No one's coming, and no one get there in time to help you if you don't fix it yourselves. So we rely on ourselves. And that's how we come back on Wednesday. With so he's comparing his team to a sinking submarine. Sounds that sounded like a lot like great. taking yeah. a deuce and flushing it. You're right. <laughs> it's it's a, pretty similar states yeah, here. Yeah. Sounds like everything's going great. And if, as if the Giants don't have enough problems, uh, they've now fallen into this same mistake that the Mets fell into. Leonard Williams' defensive tackle here was after the game when asked uh, how it felt to get booed off the field on Sunday. Did the booze bother you? Do you feel like they weren't allowed to they should have been booing you guys? I mean, they do bother me, honestly. Uh, you know, I've, obviously we're in our own home stadium. I don't want to be hearing booze from our own fans. Um, I understand that they have a right to, you know, be upset as well because they're coming to see us put, you know, good football on the field. And, uh, you know, we haven't been winning up to date. And, but at the same time, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't like that. I mean, booing is basically like the least harmful way fans can express displeasure. Um, if you don't like booing, I don't know what to tell you. You're going to get booed when you don't. Especially in New York, right. Philly, Boston, wherever. The, the first part of that soundbite, I actually was, I don't want to say defend him, but it sounded like he was he was ready to go down the path of like, booze bother me because it means we need to play better and it bothers me that like we've gotten to this point and we deserve it. And then but, he turned it. And then he turned it. Like he had a, he had an out. And he didn't use it. Yeah. And I just have one more for you, just because I think this this is uh, extremely funny in how it's reported. This is uh, Ralph Facchiano, who is an NFL insider for SNY, covers the, the New York football teams. I love in his bio on Twitter, it says, uh, the current state of New York football is not my fault. Um, and I just love the blunt nature in which he reports the disaster that is the New York Giants right now. Well, that was a complete disaster, and there is no other way to say it. The Giants lost to the Los Angeles Rams 38-11, to and really it's surprising that the final score was even that close because they were inept on both sides of the ball in every aspect of this game. The offense, a complete train wreck. Daniel Jones, terrible. He throws three interceptions, and really it's hard to even just blame him considering he was without Kenny Galladay and Saquon Barkley, and then... They lose Kadarius Toney, maybe their best player, to an ankle injury early in this game. On defense, as bad as they've been all season long. Remember Patrick Graham earlier this week had said, we're going to find out a lot about this defense. Well, what we found out is they're pretty bad, and they still have no pass rush, and they still can't cover anyone in the secondary. Matthew Stafford just absolutely picked them apart. The Giants now are 1-5, in five, and their upcoming schedule, they've got games at Kansas City, at Tampa Bay, at the Los Angeles Chargers, home against the Panthers and Raiders. It is going to get worse before it gets better. So there's really no way to look at it at this point except to say that this season is over and they're probably headed towards a total house cleaning. It just It's going to be a matter of when John Mara does it and 
how much of a house cleaning it is, you have to think at this point that general manager Dave Gettleman is going to be gone by the end of the season. He took over in late 2017, and you can't argue that the franchise is in better shape now than it was then. At the very least, it's equal, but it might actually be worse. Joe Judge's status, well, he's probably safe. It's not like he's done a great job of coaching this team. They don't look prepared in some of these games. They certainly don't look good. You just have to wonder what's coming for the future for this team. And I know Joe Judge didn't want to look at that after the game because he kept saying this season's not lost. There's a lot of ball still to be played. That was his cliched answer. There's a lot of ball still to be played. That may be true, but I don't know how you can count on the Giants to perform well during those games. At this point, if they have ball left to be played, it's probably going to be played pretty poorly. I just love it. I love it. At least we're not the Giants. That's the theme of this segment. Um, you know, things aren't going great for the Eagles right now, but again, at least we're not the Giants. If the Eagles lose to the Giants, do you fire Sirianni like before he leaves the stadium? Oh, yeah. I mean, you can't lose to that team. You, you, can't you don't lose even allow coach. him on the bus? Now, I mean, Joe Judge and Nick Sirianni might be a, an epic like coach-off in terms of who can screw the game up more. I was thinking about this more. So I was thinking about the two of them. And then, obviously, the Cowboys are right, really good right now, but Mike McCarthy McCarthy's has, an idiot. McCarthy's I mean, dumb, too. I was thinking, is Ron Rivera the best coach in the NFC? By far. It's by, like, close. head and shoulders? Yeah. It's like, it's close. absolutely the, the ineptitude of the coaches in the NFC East might be on a level that is unmatched by any other division in football. It's, it's bad. It's really bad. And when we get back, we'll do our NFL Week 6 recap, uh, let you know what happened in all those games, especially as we just – talked about briefly that Dallas New England game which is a crazy ending so we'll get to all that coming up next I'm Tom Kelly Sports Radio 94 WIP Sports Radio 94 WIP fun show tonight I'll be back in the next two nights uh, on the overnight, but uh, time for us to do a week six NFL recap. Uh, as obviously we talk about the Eagles much of the night, I haven't gotten too much into the rest of the happenings around the league, but we will do so now. We will start in England. I don't know, were they playing in London? They were playing at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. I'm not sure if that was, if that's in London or not. I know Wembley's in London. I'll look into that. I actually, it doesn't really matter. I mean, it, overseas, across the pond. Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Um, but the Jaguars get their first win. They beat the Dolphins 23-20. to uh, Both teams now 1-5. and And this is a big deal. This is a big deal for the Eagles. As the draft stock continues to rise, the Dolphins are just terrible. Like, Tua was back. He is just not very good. If you're losing to Urban Meyer's Jaguars... You got serious problems. How high can that pick be, Dan? Do you think that's going to be top five? It very well could be top five. The Dolphins are terrible, like really, really bad. We saw it on Sunday. And as you alluded to earlier in the show, that trade with the Dolphins looks better and better for the Eagles and Howie Rosen by the day. Like, what were the Dolphins thinking? And, And the thing is, like, so the Eagles trade from six to 12, then trade back up to 10. I think they would have taken Devontae Smith at six anyway. But maybe I'm wrong. I think they would have taken Devontae Smith. As opposed Smith. to Jamar Chase if he's there. Right, well, he wouldn't have been there. Like, yeah. I'm saying with what, how the board ended up going before that. Like, gotcha. If they had, like, Devontae Smith, Waddle, or the two corners, maybe they take Sertan. But 
I think they probably take Devontae Smith, and, and instead they end up trading That's right, back. yeah, Chase, so Chase already went. So yeah. the Dolphins take Waddle, so you think they – look, they very well might have. They moved back basically for nothing. They knew they could get their guy later in the draft. Howie Roseman probably knew that. He moves up in the draft by getting the Dolphins' pick. I mean, go Jags and go whoever's playing the Dolphins and, of course, the Indianapolis Colts, who we'll get to in a minute here. Yeah, but uh, Jags win that one. Both teams 1-5. Next up, we mentioned it earlier in Chicago. Packers 24, Bears 14, Packers 5-1, and one, Bears fall to 3-3. Three and three. And just the most savage insult ever from Aaron Rodgers after he scores a touchdown just yelling at generations of Bears fans, I own, I still own you. And he does. I mean, he does still own them in every way. 22-5 and five against the Chicago Bears. It, it's amazing. It's, it's almost a lock when the Packers play the Bears. The Packers are very much alive here. Again, a season where there was a lot of uncertainty. Would Aaron Rodgers come back? They're 5-1 and one and look like one of the powerhouses in the NFC. So they're not going anywhere for now. Yeah, we should have we should have remembered Aaron Rodgers is still really good. And yeah, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. He was the MVP last year. Yeah. Uh, next up in Detroit. The Bengals beat the Lions 34-11, to Lions 0-6, Bengals 4-2. Now, I know the Lions are, are, are really bad, but I, I think this Bengals team is legit. Like, I think they could end up being a wild card team. I mean, the AFC, it's pretty competitive. You know, you got to imagine that the West is getting at least two, if not three. But the, the North, the Ravens and Browns are probably both in. But I can see the Bengals sneaking into to that last wild card spot. So, Joe Burrow's playing well. To that point, they played the Packers really close last week, lost by a field goal. I made maybe a little bit too much of the fact that they, the Jaguars played them close. That was a Thursday night game. I don't know how much stock you want to play in that. And they did lose to the Chicago Bears, who do not look very good. But for the most part, they've taken care of business so far this season. And with that extra wild card team, like eight, nine wins sometimes will get it done for you, as we've seen. Right. At the very least, they'll be in the mix more than likely, just because they're four and two right now. And looking at the remainder of their schedule, like they're already half the way there. Better than the Steelers. Like there's no doubt about that. And they beat them earlier this season, too. Yeah. So uh, Bengals looking good. Next up in Indianapolis, actually good news for the Eagles, as I see it. Colts blow out the Texans 31 to three. Texans are just miserably bad. They're one and five. Colts move to two and four, but we need this. We need the Colts to stay competitive. And I don't know what the Colts were doing late in this game, but they're up four touchdowns in the fourth quarter. And Carson Wentz is taking snaps. So they don't seem overly concerned with keeping that first round pick. You know, they seem more worried about setting the culture, you know, and and keeping Wentz in there. And Carson Wentz, uh, there's a great Twitter account that monitors all of Wentz's snaps. snaps, yeah. He's already at 35%, so we only need 40 more percent. Barring injury, he's going to get there. Yeah. So you just have to root against the Colts the rest of the season. But, no, I think he's going to get there. I think Carson Wentz is their guy. And But the you Col- want them to stay competitive, though. You want them to just stay so that Wentz in, plays. in the mix for a playoff spot, yes. So they don't shut him down. See how – well, I wish they would just – what is, like, the minimum record, we think? Like, well, in that division, it might not need to be that good of a record. So I'm thinking, yeah. what, like eight, six eight wins? wins. Yeah. I think six. To win the division? No, no, not to win yeah. the division, just to stay competitive enough right. to get them the snaps. Yeah. So, oh, like, yeah. the five-six win mark is, like, the ideal. Right. As I see it, yeah. Right. No, I don't want them to win the division. No, no. But, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, if they win a few games here and there, stay in the mix, that's that'd be fine. Good. Yeah, whatever. Rams beat the Giants, as we mentioned, 38-11. to 11. Rams 5-1, and one, Giants 1-5. One and five. Don't have to get too much more into that since we already discussed that game. Uh, Chiefs. Beat the Washington football team 31-13. Uh, 
they're now three and three. Washington two and four. Chiefs didn't look good for a while in this game. Mahomes turned it on the second half, uh, and the Chiefs get get that victory. Yeah, he had a really there were a few really bad throws in this game. I don't know if you saw the one where Mahomes is kind of like being taken to the ground, kind of a dumb decision to throw it up. That gets intercepted, and then late in the game. Heineke had one where he threw it literally right into the defensive end's helmet and it got caught for an interception. But, I mean, this was a bit, as weird as it sounds, this was a big win for the Chiefs who have not looked as good so far this season. A statement win on the road, Washington or otherwise. I mean, they kind of needed this. Yeah, and I, as I said earlier, I don't know much about TikTok, but Patrick Mahomes' brother seems like a jerk. Like, he's oh, on TikTok. TikTok and he was dancing on Sean Taylor's number painted on the field, which he says was an accident, but... You know, it's just classic. I think you need to get on TikTok because I think the no. social media gripe would just go to a whole other level if you went on TikTok just to because you would be so much more annoyed with TikTok well, than you are even with Twitter. Maybe I'll consider that. Next up in Carolina, Vikings beat the Panthers in overtime 34-28. Both teams now three and three. Panthers don't appear to be very good. This was one of the games of the day. By the way, you know we've had an overtime game in every week so far this week in the wow. or this year in the season. That's interesting. Uh, in the NFL, which I, I don't know what the record is, but I saw some stat that I'm going to have to relook up now that apparently at this point in the season it's rare that you have an overtime game every single week. Uh, again, another big win for the Vikings who have been very – I mean, I've been unimpressed with the Vikings, definitely unimpressed with the Panthers so far this season. I mean, Darnold, as we saw, just not very good. I mean, the Eagles beat him for crying out loud because he turned the ball over – three times so not necessarily stunned by this result but a win that the Vikings needed on the road to kind of stay competitive especially in that division that the Packers are going to run away with right maybe they contend for a wild card at the end of the season maybe a surprising result here in Baltimore the Ravens blow out the Chargers 34 to 6 they're now 5 and 1 Chargers 4 and 2 Chargers due for a letdown after that emotional win against Cleveland last week I think I wouldn't read too much into this game I do for this level of letdown right. I know the game was in Baltimore I, I the Chargers I mean, everyone was so high on them after they had that quote-unquote statement win against the Chiefs earlier in the season. I know the Chiefs haven't played up to their standards so far here this year, but to get blown out like this was very, very surprising to me. Maybe that's all it was. It was a letdown. They're still 4-2. and two. I'm not writing them off, but I was... I think this was a huge win for the Ravens and the Chargers barely getting off the flight to play this game. Yeah. Uh, next up in the 4 o'clock window in Cleveland, Cardinals blow out the Browns 37-14. They're now 6-0. Browns 3-3. Three three. Cardinals look to be legit. Now adding Zach Ertz to the mix. And Zach Ertz was at this game. Yep. You know, chopping it up with the teammates. A big win for Arizona, and they're the team to beat in the NFL right now because they're the last undefeated standing. Yep. Next up, uh, in Denver, the Las Vegas Raiders beat the Broncos 34-24. Raiders 4-2. Broncos 3-3. Joe Passaccia, who taking over for the Raiders. Good football name there. Um, He ends up getting his first win. And how about the Raiders really opening up the offense without John Gruden? Their offense looked as good as it's looked all year. And I think this was a big win for the Raiders because, you know, the whole national spotlight, like this was the story in the NFL this week, right? Gruden getting fired, a 10-year contract just being, you know, cut in the middle of the season. How did the Raiders respond? And it could go one of two different directions here. And I don't think this one game fully answers the question, but to get a win in a very emotional week and very, you know, media-heavy week and a lot of distractions going on in Vegas right now, to go on the road in Denver and to win a game by double digits... I think speaks to the locker room and to Joe Pisaccia, perhaps, that he was able to rally the troops and put that aside for one day, that they get a win here. It, it signals to me that 
the Raiders aren't right. Like, the season isn't going down the toilet just because their coach's reputation right. did. And the Eagles go there next week. Next up in New England, Cowboys beat the Patriots 37 or 35-29 in overtime. Crazy game. Looked like the Cowboys were going to lose because of McCarthy's stupidity, kicking a field goal on fourth and one. Trayvon Diggs then a pick six. Mac Jones a touchdown. Um, Cowboys come back, kick a field goal, send it to overtime. A crucial drop in overtime, though, by Nelson Aguilar. Really hurt the Patriots. Cowboys end up, and then CeeDee Lamb dusts Jalen Mills for the game-winning touchdown. Jalen so Mills was the funny, and CeeDee Lamb uh, waving at him as Mills yeah. gave him a little shove there in the end zone. The Cowboys should have lost this game like five separate times. The field goal decision I thought was really, really poor by Mike McCarthy. I think we, you know, illustrated the fact that we don't think he's particularly bright. The Patriots, I mean, they're obviously very, very different these days without Tom Brady, but given just how good of a coach historically Bill Belichick is, you would have thought that Mac Jones or anyone, they would not have you know, fl- floundered and floundered, not the word, right. flustered at the opportunities that the Cowboys were giving them here. Like they just had so many chances to try and win this game. The Diggs pick six; they come right back, and Diggs gets torched. Yeah, on that play, and it looks like he's looking for safety help. And then they have a chance in overtime to do it. And the Cowboys had penalty after penalty after penalty. Like the Cowboys were giving them every chance to win this game, and they still get it done in overtime. Right. Uh, the Patriots are not the team they once were. The Cowboys should not have won this game, but you need a few games like that in an NFL season if you're going to be a good team at the end of the season, and they're going to win the NFC East right. by Thanksgiving. And then point. Sunday Night Football, the Steelers beat the Seahawks uh, 23-20 in overtime. I didn't really watch much of this game. I was watching baseball, but uh, Steelers now 3-3, three and three, Seahawks 2-4 and four with Geno Smith. Uh, Russell Wilson still out for a few more weeks. I don't think the Seahawks are going to play playoffs this year. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, no, well, with Russell Wilson missing so much time, it seems unlikely. It doesn't seem like Geno Smith will uh, rally the troops there. And Roethlisberger, not very good. But they do get the win in overtime. It was an exciting game yeah. for what it's worth. Not exactly the NFL's best, but they were on national TV and caught the end of the game on my way in here. And then it actually ran past midnight. But good game, not the NFL's best. And the Steelers, uh, they get to 3-3. Three and three. Seahawks drop to 2-4. and four And they're in trouble, especially with Russell Wilson on the sideline here. Yep, and then you got Bills-Titans tonight in Tennessee. Um, I don't know. I'm kind of feeling a Titan, t- the Titans tonight. We Now, this is where you want the Titans to lose so the Colts stay in the mix in that division. Um, Titans. That's are, the key. You want right. the Colts to lose and the teams around them to keep right. losing. So go Bills. So it'll be interesting tonight. That's the game tonight. And then quick recap of baseball over the weekend. Um, Dodgers fall behind the Braves 2-0 in that series as it shifts back to L.A., uh, and the Red Sox and um, Astros tied at one, game three in Fenway tonight. So that's where we are with baseball right now. That will do it for the show tonight. Thank you to Dan Wilson for producing. I will be back on tomorrow. Um, I'm sure we'll have more reports from Sixers practice as Ben Simmons reenters uh, the team. And we'll see. Maybe, maybe we'll find out if he's going to play Wednesday night. Uh, coming up tomorrow, but plenty that we'll get into. Uh, Next up, we will talk to Al for the Overlap Show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? 
Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 